I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a new episode, and we're continuing our chronological exploration of the Halloween franchise. And of course, it's April, so the fourth month of the year, so we're talking about Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. And like every previous episode when it comes to this Halloween franchise, I've had one guest with me, and he is back again, Mr. Mike Wilson. Welcome back. What up, yo? <laughs> I was not expecting that. As you're kind of, it, just... it's it's well into spring. We had 80 degree weather yesterday. Today was in the 40s, probably lower with the wind chill because it was blowing like a fucking typhoon. Right. Uh, it's it's so funny that um, one of our listeners and one of my friends, Jeremy Lloyd, like uh, I know he's listening, so he'll pop for this. He has shared a meme. Uh, I think I might have told you this uh, the other day uh, of like what it's like to be in the Midwest. It's a dude mowing his lawn while a tornado approaches. It's, and the text is. I got to mow my lawn before it snows tomorrow. And I'm like, ah, that's pretty, pretty much that's pretty much like how it's been season wise, at least uh, across America. But we're not going to be talking about the weather. We're not we're not th- that boring, uh, bored with a, a movie yet to be talking about the weather uh, this early in a podcast. No, we're just plain boring. Uh, well, we are as persons, totally. Yes. Uh, if you are right down for the boredom to continue, uh, keep listening as we talk about Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers. If you're we- a stickler for punishment, <laughs> tune in to us. <laughs> Speaking of punishment, I, w- I was referred to as the Punisher again uh, recently. Not by why, you. Why wouldn't you be? Yes. So we're talking about Halloween Force. So let's jump into that right now. <laughs> Okay, so much like our every episode that we start when it comes to talking about a property, we talk about our first experiences with it. Now, Mike, you had mentioned previously that you had gone back to the video store and you saw all the sequels. Was that the same modus operandi for Halloween 4? It's going to be the same for pretty much the next two movies. This this question will be answered differently by the time we get to H2O, I Okay. Promise. But like, so there might be some new listeners, so briefly reiterate like what you were saying. Well, like, after I saw the first Halloween, pretty much every single one that was out up until that point, which would have been uh, six, Curse of Michael Myers, whenever I go to Blockbuster Video, and we'd go every week, you know, my mother or my stepfather or whoever, we'd all go, rent whatever we want, a movie, video games, whatever. While they were checking out, though, I'd always see the horror section just, you know, a little bit off to the right. I'd go there, and I would just look, go straight for the Halloween series, you know, because at that point, Halloween 1 scared the living shit out of me. It was ingrained in every fiber of my brain and of my life, which was ruining it at that point, worse than my stepfamily was. 
just ruins it. Yes. Worse, worse than when you cook a rabbit properly instead of eating it with the you know fucking skin still What's on. Taters? What's taters? What's precious? Boiler, mash them, stick them in a stew. Oh, have we devolved already like this? <laughs> but anywho, Halloween 4, at the time, you know, I saw the box art was just one of several. I, that one I don't really remember anything significant about the VHS of the time. I just remember the cover was the half of the Myers one mask with behind it, what was it, the Wallace house or something? Yeah. Two of things that do not appear in the movie. No. But nothing you, really special I, would, you, would you accuse that box art of being false advertising then? Uh... Gravely, more than five, because at least five, at least f- with five, half the box was, was actually as advertised. Yes, because that, because uh, half Jamie's, the Myers face and Jamie Lloyd. Yeah, but Jamie Lloyd's in the uh, clown cl- costume in that one. But at least she's in the movie, even even if she's wearing. All right, so she's about a third proper advertisement. Okay, a third truly advertised. Right. Daniel Harris is in Halloween Five. Even though she's not wearing the clown costume from four and the Myers mask from one isn't in there, right? And it, it's so weird when it comes to with at least Halloween four because I like I understand like I, like they're banking on the ten year anniversary. I think that's why they made that decision to design the poster like that. Probably because you got to bring people back to the you know the attention of Michael Myers. He was gone for three. Yeah, I, and boy, did everyone notice and make it fucking stink over it. Right, and, and, and like I know we kind of addressed that last time, but I think it is. Well, because three was what eighty two? Eighty two. So six years, six years after number two, they finally decided to make another one. Uh, at this point in history, though, the slasher franchise, innovated very much by Halloween, mostly by Halloween, was you know in full gear. You had every fucking rip off, knock off, guy with a knife, guy with some sharp weapon on some holiday, whatever. And the ones that people liked, you know, they made a million sequels of. By eighty eight, we were already on Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. In yeah. the same year, and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre came back in the mix for number two in two years prior. Yeah. But at this point, you know, the talks were about getting Michael Mott, getting, getting the fucking, the originator, the innovator, back in the mix. I thought you were going to do, uh... A full, like, superstar Billy Graham, Dusty Rhodes promo. <laughs> The innovator. Uh, no, I thought you were going to do um, Brother Midnight. Oh, Brother Midnight. Yeah. The regulator, innovator, dominator, creator of data, plus the imitator, assassinator, baby. Yes, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's, what my- <laughs> that's what the intention you was. Brother Midnight should have wore a fucking Michael Myers mask. We're talking uh, about pro wrestler Brother Midnight from, from, from Canada, Canada in the from late the 90s. 90s. I mean, I could see, like, to get people to come to their promotions back there, I could see Brother Midnight wearing a Michael Myers mask in his promos in order to get people in the door. All right, everybody, baby. We're back to Haddonfield Wrestling, baby. <laughs> and so, which I found really strange because you figured with the sla- – I mean, by 84 with Nightmare on Elm Street, like, being, like, I'd say almost the pinnacle of, like, pushing the traditional slasher by, by being very unique in its, its fashion. And afterwards, like, it's kind of, the slasher genre is kind of on a downward slope in terms of creativity. And you figured they would have jumped on the occasion to bring back Michael a little bit earlier than wait for ten years. You think it was their intention to wait until the ten year anniversary, or it was just it was just they were doing other things, and then oh, ten years anniversary come up, we need money, let's do this. I'm going to say no because if you look at how it originally started, um, there was an intent of getting you know John Carpenter and Deborah Hill back in the mix. Um, they had original John Carpenter, Deborah Hill. They originally got together with. Writer Dennis Etchison, who they liked working with. Uh, excuse me. Morty. <laughs> Leave that in. Yeah. Hi, hi Homer. Hi, Homer. We always 
We never, we never on the ball. I know. Time. I don't know if I could time it just right. Right. Or even have the uh, force behind it. But anyway, they wanted to team up with writer Dennis Etcherson, writer of the Quatermass films. And instead of going with a straight-up, you know, slasher sequel, they wanted to do something a little different, kind of like what they did in Halloween 3. The demand for Michael Myers was back. You know, everyone involved, Mustafa Akkad, wanted uh, Michael Myers back. So they kind of came up with a weird middle ground. It would be a lot like a ghost story almost, where the idea of that Michael Myers memory, you know, still haunts everyone in Haddonfield, and they have tried so hard, so hard to, to, you know, suppress it, to keep it down. But the idea was that if you suppress something too much, it's going to eventually rear its ugly head back at you harder than before. And I think the idea was, like, have, like, the kids of the day who didn't know of Michael Myers when they were growing up, you know, look into it and just sort, it's sort of, like, bring him back into existence. I don't know if that would have been a literal thing, that all this idea of suppressing his memory and it and then it coming back through, like, the, the town teenagers trying to understand it and uncover it would have been – would have – coincidentally ended with him coming back. I don't know. It was very cerebral. It's funny that he's, like, the, the idea just reminds me of Freddy vs. Jason where the, at least they tried to forget uh, Freddy Krueger altogether by like erasing him from local history and anybody who's still alive is like, oh no, we're going to institutionalize them and so we're going to think nobody's going to take him seriously and have them on Hypnosil. And the, yeah. idea, and, the, and the thought of, like, hey, we've kind of erased him, so that's why he never comes back, and that's why Freddy uses Jason to get fear flowing through um, Springfield again. Uh, Spring, Springwood? Springwood. Springwood. Well, Springfield, Springfield is the Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> at, least I, at least I caught it and, and, and have somebody call me out on that. Well, groundskeeper Willie was... was uh, <laughs> that is true. He, he was in that uh, Treehouse of Horror parody. So. Yes. <laughs> I mean... Stupid smart weather. <laughs> I mean, it's better than... Uh, uh, Treehouse Horror was it five? Where he keeps he died in all three stories, or six? He died in all three stories. The Shining. I think that was four. Okay. No, was that four? I think it was no, it was, no, that wasn't four. No, it wasn't four. It might have been three or five. I'm not sure. Like, yeah, but like at least Willie tried, Willie tried to help, and he keep dying. Yeah. Because I'm coming to save the lot of you. And so, I guess the idea of like, all right, that the just the legend of Michael Myers being so. Uncontrollable and uncontainable, despite the town's best efforts, could have been something that had been interesting, but obviously... Mustafa Akkad wanted, you know... a real, more traditional. I think that was motivated very much in the idea because of Halloween 3's failure. Even though we have discussed it, it looked, looked much better upon nowadays. At the time, no one wanted anything to do with it. People yeah. fucking hated it left and right. Yeah, because hindsight has been the best thing for Carpenter's career. With a lot of his movies, especially The Thing, Halloween 3, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, In the Mouth of Madness. And so a lot of efforts that Carpenter has made, directly or indirectly, may not have been appreciated in its time, but has obviously grown as as the earth has kept spinning. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, that idea was denied, and Carpenter and Hill basically sold off their interest to the Halloween series to Mustafa Akkad. Uh, Dennis Etchison's script was not part of that deal, and that was basically it on that, on John Carpenter and the Halloween series until now. Yeah, well, he, his name will be popped up again in 10 years from Halloween uh, Force time, anyway. He will be brought up again, but not to... Not least, to be part of it. Yeah. Anything. But, yeah, but I always fa- I found it kind of interesting. Yeah, so he sold off his rights his, his, to the Halloween franchise. Did he buy back in for this one, or was no, he No, I think they just hired him as executive producer, because, okay. I mean... I, he's always going to have some sort of. There's always going to be some involvement with his name because he created the character as the creator. Right. You know, he gets a fucking residual. He gets a check. 
every time fucking something Halloween is sold. Mm. So he's always connected to it in that form or fashion. Right. But basically, like, ownership going forward of what, you know, wants to be done with the movies. I think that was all in the Akkad's hands. Okay. Carpenter, he can't just walk up and say, hey, I want to do this, unless he's, like, actually hired to do so. Right. He don't have that kind of control. He, I think he just gets, you know, the, the ownership of creativity. And which he's all for, all for because, he, because he does enjoy money. He is a capitalist, but he's just like... That's why he signed up on so many remakes of his movies because he'll get a check for the resid- because of residuals. And I think in his mind, what the fuck can I do to stop it? Really? No. Yeah. Is I mean, it worth me stopping it? Like, because I mean, I, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to you know, I don't want to say the ruining of the Halloween franchise or the or the stupiding when remake time came, I think his idea might have been what the fuck could they do worse than what's come before? Yeah. And so it moves on, and so it, 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 we have a new uh, pair of writers. We have, I forget the writer's name. Alan B. McElroy was pretty much the, the primary guy of yeah. this. He managed to write this shit in 11 days, avoiding the 1988 writer's strike. Right. Somehow. And truthfully, it, it, it shows. shows. It does show. However, like, if you want, like, someone in comparison, I know at least the first draft of Scary Movie, a.k.a. Scream, was written over a weekend. Mm-hmm. But then again, we, we don't know how long that idea was percolating in Kevin Williams' mind. However... Some of the things you can you make you can argue about, and we'll we are going to bring back there is bring up a lot of similarities between this and the first one in the terms of structure. That yeah, it definitely seems like Halloween Four is kind of a remake of, of Halloween One, not to the extent of like Force Awakens. It's and that New like Hope. spiritual sequel remake, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Because they don't really acknowledge Halloween Two, with the exception of the scars of. At least, like at least in the... they acknowledge it enough. They yeah. acknowledge it enough because the, both movies take place on the exact same night. Right. So there's enough to acknowledge, and the fact the body count that they give yes is close. To, I think it's close to accurate. Not exactly 16 people. Yeah. But there's uh, I, I forget. I remember looking it up once. And like, there's like a the couple, body There's a couple of asterisks where if they found that person, it would be 16, or if they right. found these people's bodies, it would be 16. Right. Um. So. Which is, we'll, we'll get into the ignoring of continuity a little bit later. Uh, in this series. Yeah. Two more, two more times. Uh, one in like in a couple of years from this movie and one is very recent. So – and so they, they, the story they go with and they hire um, – Dwight Little. Dwight Little. To be the director. Um, truthfully, the, the, the script does stay – the final product really does stay pretty close to the original draft. There were more things that they omitted, if anything, that outright changed mm. later on. Like stuff they couldn't do budget-wise. This movie had a budget about $5 million, double what Halloween 2 got. Some interesting changes, though. I mean, it, for, for, you know, seven years later, I don't know if it was an inflation thing. This is the first one where they do not go with a 2-3-5 aspect ratio. Yeah, they went with one eight five instead. It was filmed in 35 millimeter in Panavision. Mm. But, you know. And to me, that doesn't bother me because the first three have that – you know, synonymous John Carpenter look. And with Dean Cundey photographing And with Dean Cundey photographing all these. Dean Cundey did not photograph this one. I forget exactly who did. But regardless, you know, it does feel like the start of something new. It does yes. feel like a, a brand new chapter. And the fact that they stick with this format pretty much for the next three movies, you really have your, your Carpenter trilogy with the first three, your Thorn trilogy, and we'll explain what Thorn means later. Yeah. I'm sure you, you all know. <laughs> but right. But we'll the Thorn trilogy with these. And then the... Um, the the launching rocket high and the fucking downward speed of light plummet so fast and so hard that you went through and out the other side uh, the, duo of movies. Yes. 
I mean, Fuck like, resurrection. <laughs> like you have, like that is a roller coaster of emotions of of elation and dread. It reminds me of the bullet train to heck from Tiny Toons. How I spent my summer vacation. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's what Halloween resurrection basically is. Oof. Yeah, we'll get to that later. And so imagine one of those like rides where like you know you're brought all the way up and then just dropped straight down. Yeah, but imagine you just go through the fucking earth. <laughs> Out the bottom, and then you float in that direction in space for eons forever, and you never reach the other side. Actually, no, you do reach the other side. The other side is some star light years away that you crash into and fucking burn up horrifically. But you burn up so – you get approach it so slowly that when you're burning up, it's extremely painful. If you didn't die from the lack of oxygen in space. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, the lack you die faster from lack of oxygen to your brain by watching Halloween Resurrection <laughs> than you would in outer space. That is fair. And, and, okay, like it is, I, I guess it was like you were saying before. It must have been a budgetary because anamorphic lenses are more expensive to rent, and they are what they would call like in terms of tech in a technical sense, they are slower lenses. That means they require more light, and so because there's more glass, that they have to accommodate for to. Because of being a widescreen lens, and so maybe that, like, other than the budgetary reason and like the fact we're gonna be shooting ninety percent of this movie or eighty five percent of this movie at night, and so like, like, sure they did that for the first two Halloween and all three Halloween movies, but maybe it's because like we need to move a little bit faster, so one eighty five is more accommodating, or maybe they were trying to get appeals to the VHS market at that point because Probable. because because pan because of pan and scan. It's possible. Um, well, I know a lot of one of the other major things that was omitted for budgetary reasons was uh, towards the end. I don't want to give too much away right now, but the whole escape on the rooftop. The house was supposed to be on fire because the sheriff was supposed to have been killed in the basement, mm. and then I guess some, during the struggle, some equipment was knocked over and the house caught on fire. Right. And they're supposed to be dueling in this like fucking you know ring of fire death match, and then I'm sure Sabu will show up. And, the she- and he'll get out of there faster like he did in Japan. Yes. And the, the Sheik it, will go into a coma. Yeah. Somebody, Michael Myers will go into a coma or something. <laughs> and he'll just take out like a fork and stab someone in the, uh, the forehead with it. Or a metal spike. But yeah, that was a minute because that was just too hard. And probably for 80s, illogical to film because how do you really control a house fire with people on the rooftop? Well, Nightmare on Street uh, 1. Like that, that gets burst into flames. I mean, well, 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 Freddy's on fire at that point. He's running around in a goddamn burn suit. Yeah, but the whole house isn't on fire. And I'm sure that you could have. Yeah, I just stopped the mic from. No, but his, the thing is, like, the whole house is supposed to be engulfed in flames. Nightmare on Elm Street is just Freddy in flames. Right. I'm sure you have a tech on standby with fire extinguishers to put him out or any part of the house. Yeah. This you want the house to be on fire. Yeah. This and it did not have the budget backdraft, so they they could not pull that off. No. Now I can't imagine, like, Michael Myers in backdraft now, fighting Kurt Russell with a fire axe. Oh, God. <laughs> you go! We go, motherfucker, as he's trying to take out Michael Myers. Anyway, um... The other thing that was omitted from the script, it was never shot, mostly because it was decided upon not to be used. I heard rumors that this was shot, but never seen, never finished. But now I hear more recently it was never actually shot. The opening was supposed to be... Like the epilogue to Halloween 2, where yeah. the camera begins going down a hospital hallway. All of a sudden, there's a big explosion. You see the wall explode and Loomis fly through it yeah. from the force of the explosion. And then, you know, the... Accompanied with a Looney Tunes sound effects, too. Probably. <laughs> the sound of Wile E. Coyote, exactly. like, you know, one of his Acme devices explodes. Michael Myers had a lighter that said Acme on it. <laughs> and Loomis, after he puts himself down, he holds up a sign that says Eek. Yes. <laughs> but... You know, the cops were to have arrived at that point, you know, and like they find Michael's body there. 
and Loomis, you know, and, and go to put Michael's body out. And Loomis tries to stop him and says, let him burn, let him burn. But they don't listen. They put him out. But it was decided, you know, not to use that opening. Instead, the opening that we get is pretty cool. Uh, before we get there, because okay. uh, um, I didn't talk about my experiences with the movie yet, um, very much like it must have been through like one of those AMC marathons I saw for the first time, and it was something that really stuck with me. And, and I'll kind of get into my feelings for it when we get to the end of the movie. But like you were saying, it's starting. Well, I saw, when I actually saw it, I actually did. You know, when when doing my view throughs of Halloween, rent it from Blockbuster eventually instead of just staring at it, rent it. Uh, I liked it from a story point of view, but like this, this was basically the point where I'm watching all these sequels and I'm getting progressively less scared of Halloween. Right. You know? Yeah, it's it just like it's no longer – I mean, is that just – I feel they tried. Yes. It, it, Not are we just saying, are we just saying that as a, are we desensitized as horror fans? I don't think so because at that point I was still really young and not watching as many horror movies as regularly. Mm-hmm. I'd say I watched a couple of the Halloweens before I really delved into anything else. Okay. I think the one the, – the movie I watched after Halloween was Scream. Right. So at that point that really was the, the most of my basis for comparison. Yeah. And I, no, I don't think I was being this. I, th- I just think that, like, you know, John, the, the, what John Carpenter really brought to the table was missing. Yeah. When his heart was 100% in it, because as we know, Halloween 2, his heart was not. Right. And there was conflicting. Listen to our Halloween 2 podcast. Yeah, we're going to further detail about that. But anywho, the movie starts differently from the script. It's basically wide shots of these open, rural farmland fields. Which I love. Yes. I think this is, I want to say it's the best part of the movie. But I think it's the, one of the most atmospheric, as well as the score by Alan Hall, Alan Alan Howarth, Howarth who came is, back without John Carpenter this time. He basically recreated the you know as much of the Halloween score on his own. Yeah, but like this is all like original music at this point, and I think just with the colors of the fields and the sunset of it, I think it's just really there's many Halloween tone. decorations all over the place. There's yeah, like the pumpkin scarecrows and you know ghost things hanging from an old barn but they seem kind of like like old or almost like dilapidated like these are old ornaments and stuff so it's just like something is i was just gonna say that it gives you the feeling that like something is something's going to happen something's close you get this eerie atmospheric establishing feeling that something's about to kick in and it's not going to be good yeah It's, it's, it's like a calm before the storm almost right and, and, like, and, of course, the sun sets, and then we go into nighttime, and then we see an ambulance appro- approaching a... Uh... And ironically, they make it through. They happen to be driving where the rain the, uh, the rain clouds cut off. Yes. Because production, uh, what was it, they could only afford one rain tower at a time? Yeah. For a $5 million budget, they skimp in odd areas. I don't know if just somebody fucking pocketed most of this money, but there's a lot of... When you look at what was cut back, cut out, or just, you know, carelessly put in with little effort in places. You almost wonder where the fuck did the five million go? One rain tower. One rain tower. Go buy like a 25-foot ladder. <laughs> there is a YouTube uh, video I saw. Because like, I wanted to... And a like, garden I, hose. I wanted to create like a, like a makeshift rain tower. And it's like you can theoretically do it like cheaply. For like maybe like fifty bucks, if you really wanted to, some guy, uh, a filmmaker online, I follow that he made one. I kind of want to build one because I've never used rain in any of my shorts or anything like that. And I'm like, I feel like that'd be cool atmospheric wise. So I don't know. I mean, like Donald Plunge is like the only real big star in this movie. He's the only one that returns from the previous ones. Yeah, 
And so, and there's another like budgetary thing that's going to come up in the very when we first see Michael Myers, we'll get into. And so they approached a, a Ridgemont uh, Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium where Michael Myers has spent the last ten years in a coma after being set on fire and collapsing. Right. Uh, he's being picked up by an ambulance from Smith's Grove. Mm-hmm. He's being transferred. Uh, as we will find out without Dr. Loomis's knowledge, because the head of Ridgemont, I don't know if he's the head or whatever, played by uh, Dr. Hoffman, played by Michael Pataki, mm-hmm. who just three years earlier was in another fourth fourth movie, uh, Rocky IV, as uh, Drago's handler, manager, whatever. Right. And whatever he hits. Whatever he hits, he destroys. <laughs> and wasn't he in the Spider-Man TV show? He was Saturday? in the Spider old Spider-Man television show from the 70s. He, he played was, J. Jonah Jameson. No, he played um, Chief Barbera, the police chief. He played the chief. Okay. Always and, chewing on a cigar. It didn't even look like he was smoking. It looked like he just like having something brown to chew on. Right. And remember, cause we did watch a few episodes of that. I think it was like... We watched the pilot. The, we, we watched the, the pilot, pilot, which was essentially like... the. It was one of those pilots that was like two hours that you could pretty much consider a, a movie. Movie. Right, like the, like the 1990 Flash pilot for the 1990 TV series. Right. I consider that the the, the the only Flash movie we've ever had. True, we watch that too, and it was awesome. Yes, I mean, like it's every now and then. Speaking of the Flash, the, the Flash pilot, like the, the, the little line that you want to sample if you ever made it into it, like a metal song. Oh God, when when the leader of the biker gang, Nick Pike. Grabs two grenades and he just because he's planning this big prison break of all his men when the Flash you know stops him and gets his his people arrested. He grabs these two grenade like these neon grenades they use. He just holds them up in the air and goes, "Tonight we open the, the gates, gates of, of hell. hell." I always wanted to sample that in like a metal song. It is and so fucking cool. Whenever you pour that, it's just we've watched it like I like every day I like, hear like at the gates of hell. Like that's the first thing I, I think of is that line. And now someone's gonna hear this and write it, and it's not gonna be me. It's, it's, Fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, the, so why is it the Smiths Groves are taking uh, possession of Michael th- at this point? I think it's because Hoffman is just sick of having Michael there. Thinks he's no great. He's like every naysayer that didn't realize what Michael Myers really is. He's like Doctor Wynn in the first one, which <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and if not counting if not counting the later sequels, you know, Doctor Wynn or basically just everybody. Well, Loomis says, "I told everybody how dangerous he was." Right. I, I believe Hoffman was like that. Hoffman saw this guy's been in a fucking coma for 10 years. He's taken up space here. Get him out. Send him, send him back to where he was. I, I mean, don't want him no more. I'm speaking of taking up space. Okay, so the, the, like, the paramedics show up and they go into the goddamn basement. We get the exposition of what happened in the previous two movies about Michael's journey. The set that they keep him, they keep him in, like, literally in the basement. Yeah. I'm like, it, the, the cheapest set in the movie. His hospital room is like actual cell with bars like, yeah. locked up. You see, like, steam pipes behind him. So. I mean, like, if you look at the other corner of uh, Jack Nicholson's getting surgery from Batman 89, like, that's how, like, that's what, like, the kind of, like, area looks like he's being treated in. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I always thought that was really cheap, or that was the point, the fact, like, we do not want him here because he's literally taking up space in our basement. Well, I think that's also the point, that because of maximum security cell, this is the only place we could actually really... Possibly, possibly contain him. Right. Because imagine if he wasn't in a coma. Imagine if he was just locked up. Yeah. Which we'll see in the next movie. Yeah. Briefly. Which is one of the things I kind of like about it. Right. <laughs> but anyway, back to where we were. So, you know, uh, Dr. Hoffman, he's talking to one of the paramedics. The paramedics asking, why isn't Loomis here? And, you know, Hoffman, he just, with more Scott's of his nonchalant, doesn't give a shit. He just figured, you know, if Loomis read memos, he'd be here. He's pretty much doing this without Loomis's knowledge, right. I gather. And he's hoping that Loomis will just go with him. He doesn't even care. Like, as he says, I'm hoping that with Michael gone, Loomis will either transfer, retire, or die. Like, he doesn't give a shit about Loomis either. Yeah. Well, it's nothing to do with this. He he's just, just wants to wash his hands at this of point. it. He wants to wash his hands of all this shit. Right. So, they get him out of there, get him in the ambulance. Hoffman gives one, you know, look at Michael's body in the ambulance. Like, all, I don't know if it's like a combination of good riddance or 
I hope I'm doing the right thing. It is, a, it is an interesting look, Michael Pataki. He, does, he is making a choice there, and it's something that you can leave up to interpretation of what he's what he's, what he's saying. thinking because he he pauses for quite a bit while looking at him. Right. And so the the ambulance is going down the highway, heading towards Smith's Grove, and the paramedics are speaking to each other about Michael Myers and believing that he's a complete invalid at this point and his his muscles are atrophying, so he can't be a real danger. Asking, you know, like, does he have any relatives? It's like, oh, so the state owns him? Great. You know, like uh, – the female nurse, the female paramedic asks, you know, uh, does he have any relatives? And that's when the male paramedic says, oh, he's got a niece living in his hometown. And while on the gurney, we see Michael clinch his fists. Yeah. He's been out of it for so long, but has he really been out? Has, has he just, just been in like fucking like standby mode or whatever? Has right. He, has he been, really been awake the whole time? Right. Since he is this force of nature, has his body just basically been lying, low power so, mode. lying so dormant in low power mode where he, he barely reg- he registers like a standard... BPM heartbeat yeah. and blood pressure and pulse and whatnot. But you see him finally, like, react. It's like, oh, shit, he's been in a coma for 10 years, and, like, now you see his body react. They talk about how she's too young to be his legal ward. It's like, oh, so the state owns him great. At that point, Michael fucking springs up back to life. And he, he plunges his thumb into the male paramedic's Start, forehead. Starts slamming his head against, against the ambulance wall and sticks his thumb right in the guy's forehead. Now, this movie, originally, because Mustafa Akkad wanted to go back to basics, and because the slasher genre was so trenched in blood and gore at this point, he wanted to do something more like the original Halloween, bloodless. As the story goes, by the time they got to the end of it, and we're looking at, you know, all their dailies and everything, Mustafa decided, you know what, this is a little too tame. Well, apparently, according to the documentary on the new Blu-ray set, they did test screenings, and, like, one of the cards like, was just like, oh, it's just kind of mild, that it wasn't... Vicious enough. I mean, we're they're in the post Jason and Freddy world at that point, and so they. That's why, like the scene in the par- in the ambulance is a complete re- is a complete yeah. pickup. Initially, I think they wanted to keep it tasteful, but then they realized they were being a little too tame. Right. So they hired John Carl Beekler to come in and do some reshoots where they added gore effects, and it is very contained to certain scenes. Yeah. It's not like well, and it, you could tell that it was very you know contained. Now, what if the scene did not exist? Like there's never and like all we saw was the aftermath. Um, Would that have been more effective than what we see here? If we well cut it off exactly where, um, we see his clenched his fist, and then that's it. And, we, just, we, 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 and we cut to an exterior shot of the ambulance as it pulls away, and then we cut to Jamie. We do not see the attack whatsoever. We just see the aftermath of, of and maybe a body or two floating in the water. Well, what you mean when Loomis comes in the next yes. day? So, but yeah, it cuts to Jamie. We have her next scene. Right. That's an interesting angle. I've never thought of that that way. And, and it's because the reason being is that, like, there's always the, the thought process, like, or at least something that Stephen King said, and I know I brought up previously, is that, like, if you do not show the monster and you just leave it to the uh, individual uh, uh, imagination of the viewer, the mind will create something more scary than anything else. That's why, like, the, I mean, Michael's design is so perfect because of the shape is featureless, so you can kind of project your own feelings towards it. However, if you do something really creative and really inspired, they will never forget, like the Xenomorph or like the um, like thing, Michael Myers or like Michael Myers in the original. And so it's a fine line you have to walk here. And I do you, do you feel like the added gore scenes? I, and I know you said like it is very important. We like I never knew that. I never knew these inserts were exactly that because they felt so a part of it. Do you think they're kind of a detriment in hindsight? Uh. I don't know because I feel like if they weren't there, because they're so, they are kind of few and far between. They are they are like pretty uh, 
set to one segment. It isn't a constant reoccurring thing. It's not like where when you watch like a Friday the 13th on broadcast television that's censored to all fuck the movie's now chopped up and almost unwatchable. Yeah, I mean, that Nightmares, uh, Nightmare, uh, Friday the 13th Part 7. You could remove these and I, I think it would still have gotten the same reaction. It would still be paced the same way. People would still think the same. Right. Because I can only really think of like three scenes that have like severe, you could even call gory. Yeah. It's this. Um, the police station the police and thing. Earl. Earl, yeah. All, all those we'll talk about. Yeah. Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Feel, you at home feel free to add more if you could think of some. Right. And so we cut to Haddonfield and we see Jamie um, uh, interacting. Jamie played by Daniel Harris, who is the niece of Michael Myers, the daughter of Jamie Lee's curse character, Laurie. Originally and named Brittany in the script, but they decided to pay tribute to someone who decided not to come back because her career was so much better now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you think it was a, it was a, it was like a, it wasn't like no. a screw you. Okay. I'm being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Um, and so no, I would respect JB Lee Curtis and love her just a little more. If she did come back. Even fucking when they told Jennifer Lawrence to stay away from those comic book films, you're a big star now. She kept coming back. So respect. True. Um, and so we're introduced to, like, obviously Jamie and her stepsister Rachel played by, um, uh, Oh my God! Her name is Ellie Cornell. Ellie Cornell. What the Thank fuck? You. We just watched this. Yeah, seriously. And the behind the scenes, wow. And we find out they're Frost sisters, and like that she's been having these nightmares and been staying up all night. And Rachel's like, "Oh, like I know we're not sisters, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. I want you to go back to bed. We're gonna have a good day tomorrow." And then the nightmare proceeds. Yep. Uh, Laurie Strode has been killed in a car accident, and the and Jamie's father, whoever it was, it's 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 always been fan speculated that. Jimmy from part two is her father. Right. But we're never given Jimmy's last name in any real media. Were we? I don't even remember Jimmy's last uh, name. I never, I never last read the novelization of part two, so. So there you go. So, I mean, I think that's just speculation. There is a. Well, when, when Jamie goes back to her room, she looks through a box of photographs that, you know, of a set produ- photos. Of, of a set photo of her mother from uh, number one, which I don't know. And in, in, in if. If if we're in the context of the actual movie and uh, and this isn't all a movie, was that taken by a fucking stalker across the lawn with a long zoom lens? And he just happened to give her the, here you go, I used to stalk your mother, but now she's dead, I don't need this anymore. So I wonder what other pictures we'll she has. We'll talk about stalkers who are across the road with long zoom lenses uh, I, soon enough. I wonder what other pictures of Laurie Strode this fucking guy must have that he gave to her. Oh, man, he's ridiculous. But um, there's one picture of her, like, sitting on her father's shoulders and the father, I guess, played by, you know, Somebody in the production, they just needed a picture with a male who's not going to be there, and it clearly did not look like Jimmy. No. Even though he kind of had that weird froish hair, but it was a little longer. So who, who the fuck knows? It's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's speculation. It's speculation and rumor that's pretty much been accepted as history, that this is the daughter of Jimmy from part two. So yeah. you make your own conclusions. Right. And so... Kneels down in front of her bed, you know, after crying a little bit, praise to God. Mm-hmm. Notices, you know... What was it? A closet? Yeah, closet keeps opening. Closet keeps opening, and then she's grabbed from under her bed, which I like. What still gets me? I still jump at that one. I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe it's just the, the fact that it's coming from underneath the bed, and just like that kind of childlike fear of being attacked by something, a monster underneath the bed. Well, but right before she walks by her mirror, and a flash of lightning because it was raining outside shows Michael standing in there, right. mask on completely, and everything in right. full garb. So after she's grabbed, she gets to her bedroom door, which she can't open. It's been barricaded, I guess. Banging on it, banging on it, banging on it. He gets up from under the bed, sits up, a flash of lightning. It's him. She's still banging it out. He stands up with with a knife that he's got, you know, advancing. Finally, the door opens, and there's Michael. Behind the, the door. Behind the door. 
holds up a knife at her, and then we see her foster parents come running in the door, and it turns out it was just a dream. While she yeah. was looking at all the pictures, she had she was having a nightmare, mm-hmm. and apparently this is a reoccurring nightmare. She had some guy with a white mask. Now, okay, two things. One, do you think that she was told about what her uncle must have looked like or she must have found out some way? And that's why she's projecting this of him? I don't know because we discussed while we were watching the movie the same thing about the mask. Like why would a store be selling the infamous Michael Myers mask? I think it might have some – I think it might almost be – I don't want to say the, use the word retcon or whatever. But – and I also don't want to give the idea that people making number five – you know, thought of this when they watched four, because I don't know, but maybe it was part of that, you know, spoilers for number five, part of that telepathic link she has. She has some kind of, like, DNA link to Michael Myers, mental. Well, I mean, at least at the end of the movie, that she that's when the link is established. I mean, this could have been just setting up seeds for that kind of payoff that happens at the end of this movie that, that's taken on further into five. Well, as I was saying about the mask, the thing we were talking about is why are stores still selling the fucking Michael Myers mask? Well, you, would you had a, a, an interesting theory of what that could be. It's because... If you really look at one and two, only like three people that actually survived that night that saw Michael Myers, you know, knew what the mask looked like. Right. And the the police couldn't have the mask because it burned up. It burned up as, uh, you know, that evidence was set on fire. It burned away. So, you know, these three traumatized people could just say, oh, it was an evil mask with ghastly pale features. It's like fucking – we used to sell Hillary Clinton masks that had ghastly pale features. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's not as bad as or like not as insane. head wears a mask with ghastly pale features. Yeah. It's kind of like like in Jurassic World, like one of the, the people who works in the command center in Jurassic World wearing an original Jurassic Park T-shirt. Like, yeah, I bought this off eBay, and like somebody like, like you could argue the fact like that's a little poor taste where people died in this on this island uh, because of a failed experiment, and you're gonna wear that as a memorial to at your new job. Yeah, I mean, like like you could see the, uh, somebody doing like that, and it kind of there's a plank. Uh, Plank, uh, prank played a little bit later by that because he of some, what he did it. <laughs> yes. he got that line out. Yeah, um, and so maybe like, but also like the the flip side of that is like, oh, like maybe like some witness reports or anything, or like, oh, we knew that the the hardware store being broken into was Michael, and the mask that was stolen was this, and that's what he wore while he did that. I mean, I guess I mean. I feel like you'd be you'd be looking into it too much because I'm sure the police report for Nichols Hardware was completed earlier that day before. Yeah, thanks for right. We're just reading into this because we're fucking nerds. I mean, <laughs> they still sell clown costumes and John Wayne Gacy murder children. Yeah, but so. they don't sell Pogo the clown co- <laughs> costumes. <laughs> Where's that bozo, the blank the clown or something like that? Whatever the fuck that uh, when Krusty uh, has to set up a clown college. Oh. Uh, uh, anyway, and so. You people have stood in my way for far too long. I'm going to clown college. <laughs> Never yep. thought he'd say that. Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not going to quote the Simpsons the entire time here. The look of Michael in this movie. Your feelings on the mask and the George Wilbur playing him as well as Tom. I forget the other guy's Tom name. Tom Morga. Well, yes, Michael Myers was originally cast by as, as – uh, what was it? Tom Morga was originally cast to play Michael Myers. This was – the man behind the mask in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. The man behind Part the Five, ma- not six. Oh. Part Five in in Friday the Thirteenth when it wasn't you know Roy, what was his name Roy Burns or something yeah Roy Roy Orbison. <laughs> if it was Roy Orbison going around and shoving flares in people's mouths, that would be interesting. Yes, but this guy he was originally cast and and uh, 
He still is in the movie for the, all the scenes from the hospital and mm-hmm. for, basically before Michael Myers gets his, you know, signature set up, before he gets the mask and the coveralls. And one, and one scene near the end. Yes. Uh, he was then during production recast. Because they didn't like how, I guess, he was moving. Yes. He recast with, uh, George P. Wilbur, who would go on to be, uh, news anchor in Quahog, Rhode Island under his real name of Tom Tucker. What? There was a Family Guy episode where Tom Tucker talks about his past life. Playing, That's right. Playing Michael Myers, Myers in Halloween, Halloween 4. 4 under his stage name, George P. Wilbur. And it's yes. the scene we just talked about of him rising up from behind the bed. It's, I'm Tom Tucker. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a weird pull that they did that on Family Guy. But a, a non sequitur like so many of their jokes. I don't think it's – yeah, I was going to say it's just something fucking random, so it makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the South Park joke of, like, how a joke is constructed on Family Guy. <laughs> this is worse than the time I did blah, blah, blah with the Prophet blah, blah, Muhammad. Yeah. <laughs> It just it's just uh, manatees in a pool. Manatees of ideas. pushing idea ball, balls around underwater. <laughs> and you, but you're, how do you feel about the design of the mask? Though? Well, we have to we have to trail back a little bit because being the hack frauds that we are on some fledgling awful podcast that no one will ever listen to, it has come to my attention several times that we completely fucking forgot to talk about the fucking iconic Michael Myers mask in what two three podcasts now. What do you mean? We forgot to talk about it. No, we talked about it in two. No, we didn't. No, yeah, we did. If we did, we didn't really go into the full history of it. Okay. The Shatner mask. Yeah. How during production of Halloween, we were just talking about this before and you were you were agreeing with me. But go on. Yes, how in the original Halloween, Tommy Lee Wallace, while looking for a mask for this killer, he went to a mask shop. He saw a few things that caught his eye. One of them was a famous Emmett Clown said... Uh, Emmett Kelly said clown mask. Emmett Clown, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's getting late. It really is. Emmett Kelly said clown mask, which stood out to him, but there was another mask. It was a William Shatner Captain Kirk mask, which was very just blank, featureless. And he got both. I think he said that the Shatner mask was about $1.98. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, the Shatner mask, even though it's a Captain Kirk mask, there is enough evidence to suggest, and this has been pointed out before, that the mask mold was more than likely taken Years after Star Trek ended and during the set of Shatner's 1975 movie, The Devil's, Devil's Reign. Rain. Because if you look at Shatner's complexion in the movie, very much like the features on the Myers mask, and in that movie, the cult that gets a hold of Shatner possesses him and his like eyes are blacked out where they're not there at all, featureless, and he has no expression on his face as he's one of these mindless slaves. Yeah, was it Ernest Borgnine? The one who Ernest Borgnine. So, so Dr. Loomis should have been Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> no, he should have been Dr. Wynn. <laughs> How great would that been? No, I was imagining him as like like either Mermaid Man or like or, or a cabbie from Miss Giffen. You're like like you don't you don't come to Smith's Grove. We talk about out down here. Or Ted Denslow from Basketball. Where he oh cho- my God! He, he chokes was. to death on a hot dog and he's married to Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> wow, it's been too long since I watched Basketball. Go on. I got the chrome off of this trailer hitch, but I couldn't get the chrome off. And she has silver lipstick. Silver, silver and she lipstick. sucked the chrome off a trailer hitch. Get it? <laughs> But anywho, Tommy Lee Wallace, he decided to spruce this up a little. He got rid of the eyebrows, got rid of much of the sideburns, widened the eye holes, and spray-painted it fish belly white. You know, and that was solid. That was that was Michael Myers. Everyone agreed, holy shit, this is fucking terrifying. And it really is, mm. as you see it. Um, the mask came back in Halloween 2. All right, you're right. We did talk about this a little in bit. Halloween we talked too, about yeah. its whereabouts, but I don't think we really went into the history of it. What the, like? It, it, well, there was the Shatner mask and all that shit, and uh, as, as deep as we just talked right now, did we? They, leave a note in the comments or whatever. Yeah, 
or, or just yell at us through your fucking headphones. Uh, I know loud. either Justin, uh, Matt, or Jeremy. Like, please message me and find out. What are the three people that listens to this? Oh, we're working on it. We're we're building. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Yeah, but yes. a hundred episodes, we got three listeners. <laughs> so yes, since this was basically a mask built on the fly, not professionally from scratch, the Myers thing, and Nick Castle, you know, used to keep it in his back pocket, and for Halloween 2, it had aged significantly, also because Deborah Hill, who kept it under her bed in like a shoebox, was a heavy smoker. Mm. So it definitely looked a lot aged. I thought it looked good and beat up for what Michael had just been through. Mm. Because they thought this was the last Halloween, and it really was supposed to wrap up Michael Myers' story, Dick Warlock kept everything. So when time for number four came, they wanted to get it back, but, you know, they really couldn't because, you know, Dick Warlock, pretty much they let him keep it and mm-hmm. he can, you know, had ownership over it. So they decided, okay, we're never letting anybody have any fucking props again. Though Jamie, though, uh, Daniel Harris did get to keep Jamie Lloyd's clown costume. Right. So came time to make a new Michael Myers mask. They try, I have heard a million freaking stories of this over the years yeah. and, and I can't get a concise one. I'm going to go with what I heard in the director's commentary. I believe it was by Alan McElroy on one of the Halloween 4 releases, which we will talk about because getting, getting Halloween 4 nowadays, you got you got a couple of good options out there, people, but we shall get to that. So the idea was, you know, recreate the original one. And when they got it, apparently somebody had fucked up something where the face was pink. And the hair was white. white. It was more like the Bennett Tramer mask. Yeah, and then there was, they, they, and they got, it was so bad they had six copies of that. Yeah, on the day when they were supposed to shoot. And they got through most of the sh- most of the shooting before they really took a look at the mask. And at that point, they were shooting in the middle of the night. It was freezing fucking cold. They had to reshoot several of of Doctor Loomis' scenes because he refused to take his hat off because uh, Donald Pleasance refused to take his hat off because he was so cold. Mm-hmm. So by the time they finally got to the Myers mask, whoever was working on the film just said, "This is the mask." Oh fuck it! They threw it on. And you can still see this mask in the actual schoolhouse scene later on, which mm. we'll also we'll also remind you about. Right. So, is the original production mask you know made its way in? So, I guess the second run of these masks that they got were correct. I do see a resemblance to the original Shatner mask, but at the same time, too, I think the fact that we're getting something a little new helps. Because as as we were saying before, you know, what good taste would it be to recreate the fucking mask of a fucking mass murderer? So you could think that okay, maybe we're not going to do that, but but it was a hot seller because it's scary looking. So let's 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 vary it up a little bit, right? Um, th- this I have heard many negative things about this mask that people really don't like it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people. Uh, it seems like at least community wise that we've heard is that the fourth mask that people do not like, but the fifth, the move, the mask is number five they I enjoy. I think it's the exact opposite. I yeah, like the I fourth prefer- mask. I'm not a fan of the fifth. The fifth, no. the fourth mask, it, it kind of seems fat in its features. Yes. I don't know if that's because George is Wilbur is, is, is a bigger, bulkier, is a bigger guy. Dude. Um, also, a lot of the facial features, like cheek definitions and stuff, are definitely less defined. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, it, like it's more of a baby-faced Michael Myers. Yes. But at the same time, the look of it, if you, I, I feel like it's scarier in production stills than it is in practice. Because there, there have been a couple of productions. There's the famous one of him standing in front of a mirror, and it's got that, like, infinity yes. look to it. That's pretty cool. There was also this one that I remember... Um, HalloweenMovies.com under their synopsis section. This was like late '90s, early 2000s. They had a picture of this mask. It was a behind-the-scenes still. It was like a close-up of him, like I guess sitting in the chair because he almost—I don't want to say he looks slouched, but he almost has like a weird back posture neck, of it. Neck, weird posture. And there, it was a close-up of this picture with a sepia filter over it. And I looked at that, and it fucking freaked me out. 
This is when Halloween still scared me. Mm. I think before I saw it before. It fucking creeped the shit. I cannot find that version of that fucking picture anymore. I can find the original one it was taken off of, which is a more fuller shot of the whole head instead of just around the face and with the normal colors it was shot in. But I still think that picture looks effective, and I've shown it to you before. You have? Yes. Yes, you have. Now I remember yes, yes, yes. I mean, if you want to send that to me, I will punch in and make it a sepia tone and just try and recreate it for you. If it makes and it and you got to cut off, basically, you got to zoom in closer around the face. That's fair. I can be able to do that. It'll I can probably little, do that myself. Yeah, just say it'll be a little blurry because you're blowing up the photo and everything. And then well, no, you just take the original one, you 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 crop areas around it, and then just throw a sepia filter. Okay. Yeah, you don't need to blow anything up. I didn't know if you wanted it to be the same size as how the original photo was, rather than like. Oh no 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 no! Because the one they had on there was a much smaller size. Because this was back in the days of dial-up, so okay. it wasn't it wasn't the full size picture you go find now. Now I like. Um, I'm a fan of this mask, basically. Yeah, so am I. And like, even like the the boiler suit, and it's kind of like funny. Like people point out, like, oh, he has to assemble the exact same suit. Now, in one of the comics that you have told me about, that where he does not wear that suit, he just, he goes back. He actually wears the Emmett Kelly clown mask. That's in the first Death of Laurie Strode issue too, a trilogy of comics that will probably never be completed, unfortunately, because right, of we comic it. licensing or shit. We'll talk about this because we're still toying around with the idea of Halloween extras. Yeah, and I'm just in saying, other media. And I'm extras. just saying. But the thing is, well, before you get with that, we don't know if it's truly him or if it's a hallucination by Laurie because the fucking third issue never came out. Right. It ends on a cliffhanger. Yes. So we don't know if all this is just in her head, but basically Michael Myers in the first death of Laurie Strode at a Halloween party she's attending a year after, um, which basically the first death of Laurie Strode trilogy is basically a comic book trilogy, which only two issues ever were released, which basically is Laurie's story after... Uh, the original. Like, it starts, you know, I, I believe it begins at uh, Linda and, and uh, Annie's funeral mm-hmm. and goes all the way up to, like, well, we don't know how far it goes because the third issue never came out. But the second issue, it's she's at a Halloween party a year later. Right? Life is a fucking wreck. She's graduated from high school. She's already an alcoholic and a fucking junkie, already oh. on tons of pills, whatever oh, she can. She had her psychologist gives her, which she abuses. She's at a Halloween party where, like, everyone's doing cocaine and... She's attacked, followed and attacked by someone wearing the Emmett Kelly mask, which I think is also a nod to Tommy Lee Wallace's original idea, but also wearing the same clown outfit that young Michael wears in the original Halloween, except adult-sized. Mm. Now, the reason why I bring that up is that, like, you had an opportunity because we just saw, actually, just this past weekend of this recording, we got a chance to see this uh, Friday 13th Part 3 on the big screen in 3D, which was a cool experience from Record I stayed for Amityville 3D. You did stay for Amityville 3D, yes. I bounced because, like, I was not feeling well, and I was just like, I came and I really wanted to see, and, and I came to see what I wanted to, and I bounced after that. Um, Hosted by our friends at Retro Picture Show. Yes, check them out at retropictureshow.com. Their, their shit sells out now, so you got to buy your tickets online. Right, they, they've really grown by leaps and bounds. Congrats to you, folks. Exactly. Now, because Jason, tell them about this. You should tell them what we're constantly no, advertising. No, yeah, no, because I have asked. Uh, what was it Michael who, who runs it? Like I have asked him like to, to interview him for the show, and like we have toyed with that idea, and we're nice. eventually going to do that. So the reason why I bring that up is because. Um, Jason Voorhees' look changed from two to three. Now, with part four, they had an opportunity to do something different. They, you could have had a different look from Michael Myers. Now, I know this is supposed to be a safe sequel, and that's why they went with the uh, traditional look for him. But do you think they they could have done something different for him? Or do you think they should have to make it sound more unique? I think they could have. Should, not necessarily, because I kind of like the way he got everything. Like, like he steals his uh, – as, as Loomis is on the chase for Michael – because basically, the, uh, well, we'll get to that, but 
Michael, he gets his coveralls by fucking killing a car mechanic. Yeah. You know, he's at a rest stop that he gets to. He's apparently abandoned the ambulance and is walking now. Mm-hmm. Comes across the first rest stop he can, kills the guy, takes his coveralls. Yes. The mask he finds in a store, which, you know, we just had that long spiel mm-hmm. about it. The mask part you could, probably could have done something different with. I don't know. But the thing is, it's clear that, like, this mask connects with him in some kind of odd way. And, yeah. And, like... It's, it's what he identifies with. Right. I'm just saying, like, you could have had an opportunity because, of course, you had the – in Friday the 13th Part 2, you had the – Burlap sack. Burlap sack, and then we got the famous hockey mask by the time we got to 3, and that's been the staple ever since. And I, I'm just saying, like, could – like, would have been, like, if like, we're rewriting history here, would have been different if, like, he got a different mask and, like, would we associate, like, two different looks for – Michael Myers, because like, you think of, like, Freddy Krueger, like, his makeup has changed subtly throughout the years. Sure, they have the same look, but, like, you think of uh, him in Part 2 versus Part 1, he does have definitely a more of a male witch kind of look to him. Like, his crooked nose, the eyes are, like, amber and, like, a little bit red when he when he's trying to possess, uh, was it, Jesse? Jesse. And, and how, like, even, like, in Friday, in Friday versus Jason, when he has the true, like, demon look, Especially in the dream when he comes, like, he does his wire foo out of the water and he's trying to attack, uh, what's her name? Um, Lori? Yeah. Yeah, it was Lori. Well, yeah, ironically. ironically. Monica Keena's character. Monica, yeah. It's just unfortunate, like, that was, like, her only hit in her career, sadly. But, and so, like, there were certain subtleties and different differences throughout, like, those designs of those characters. I just wonder if they should have done that for Michael. But anyway. I'm not going to say should have because there's enough. To, to, to compare the subtleties in Freddy, in Freddy Krueger's appearance, but it's overall the same look, you could make that argument with Michael Myers. It's the same look, but you look how the mask changes every time. Right. And so Loomis comes to the sanitarium, finds out that Michael has been... Transferred. Uh, he has a nipple on the side of his face. Yeah, just the, because of the scars of it and like... It became makeup kind of, changes. Yeah, makeup changes throughout, so that's why his scars changed throughout the movie. We find out there's a car accident, and so Loomis and... Uh, As they're arguing it over, yeah. Hoffman gets a call saying that, you know, the ambulance crashed. Loomis, before he even finishes his sentence, is just, you know, like, has this, like, sarcastic, like, you motherfucker smile, and then just walks out. Right. Because he knows where he's going. Yeah, and it's like, it's your it's your fault for this. We find out the ambulance been turned over. It's in, like, the... Covered in blood on the inside. Yeah. In a wreck in, in the, the, like, fucking sewage runoff near a bridge. Right. And Hanfield is 150 miles from here. Uh, Loomis, he just immediately sees what's going on. He's like, he's gone. He just starts. He just you know starts walking back to the car. And Hoffman, Hoffman still bothers to ask him this shit. Like, yeah, he can tell Hoffman just doesn't get it, doesn't give a shit. And when he does give a shit, it's just like, oh, now I'm supposed to care. Now you know, like he forgot all the things that Loomis has spent the past ten years preaching. Right. He he's did- never taken anything that Loomis said seriously. Yep. So Loomis gets back in the car, starts his four-hour drive off to Haddonfield. And he arrives at the gas station where we find out Michael has killed the mechanic, taken his clothes, killed the waitress. Stops to get gas. Yeah. And... Broken the fo- broken all the phones. Yep. And sees him standing there in the background behind the, uh, where, the, where the cook area is. Yes. And this awesome shot where they do a combination of zooming in and dollying back. Yeah. It's kind of like... It's a reverse vertigo shot for mm-hmm. it. It's kind of like what, like, obviously done in vertigo and Jaws when Brody realizes that the kidnapped kid is being killed by the shark. And Michael looks like kind of like a slender man right now because he still has the bandages on his face. Yep. And, Over his whole head. And Loomis tries to plead with him one more time and then opens fire. To, to no avail. Like without, like, without even a second after finishing his plea, he's just, God, you know, if you want another victim, don't go to Haddonfield. Please, Michael. 
as he's nodding his head up and down, like come to the realization, like this is pointless. This is pointless. God damn you! Starts opening fire on. Yeah, he's replaced his six year with like a forty five at this point. And I always found this cup weird because there was apparently like the uh, the original uh, Michael Myers summit like was supposed to take the impact and fall. And then fall on the floor, and then when Michael and when Loomis, Loomis looks over, the he's, he's gone. gone. But apparently, he looked terrible in dailies. That's why it's like it's just a jump cut that he's oh, yeah. so he's gone. Like he had fucking the teleported. Force, he had the force speed from Star Wars Episode One, which they only used once. Once when they could, when when Obi Wan should have totally used right before Qui Gon was killed. Qui Gon was killed. Stuck behind the force fields. fields. He got stuck behind uh, conveniently placed force fields that are there just in case any people are having having a long duel. Yes, it's that it's that out. it's that conveniently part of the generator system whatsoever. No, anyway. Um, Ma- in- Michael steals yep. the tow truck, crashes into the the gas tanks, trying to blow up, destroying uh, Loomis's car, and the phone lines are caught in the flames and they break. So Loomis is pretty much fucked on his own right now. Back in Haddonfield, at this point, you know, uh, Rachel's supposed to watch uh, Jamie this night. Jamie this night, but she's complaining about it because she wants to go out with her boyfriend because he's going to make a commitment, and she's basically saying, "Oh, if it wasn't for my foster sister." Uh, you know, I, and Jamie overhears this because she's a, you know, because Rachel's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Goes your upstairs sister, crying. Your sister, your sister's a bitch. Your sister's a bitch. <laughs> she should have <laughs> named Rachel Kathy. <laughs> yes. Well, because we're referencing what was the name? Kathy's of? Curse. Kathy's Curse. And the father and the awkward jump. Well, look at the best of the worst. mother's a bitch. The best of the worst for that. And you'll, you'll thank us later. Red letter, red letter media. Yeah, they'll um, never notice us. I don't care. <laughs> I still love those guys. Yes. Um, and then Rachel apologizes, like, "No, we're gonna make a good night of it." Like, and and those, and she says, "I'll take you out to the high cream after school." Much of the teenage drama stuff was added in afterwards, like during the actual shooting. Right. I, I, I do feel like it, it helps a little more because you know there were there was the talking about all the, the teen stuff in the original where the girl you know the girls are talking about all the things, all the guys they like and the dance and stuff. But you didn't really see any of it. No, it was just talked about it was never really shown. Yes. This they get into it a little bit more. Um I, I do feel it helps things. Because they always talk about how, like, oh, in horror sequels, the characters are so flat and faceless. They have no personality. Like, this is a real attempt to give them personality. Yeah. I mean, like, I was thinking about this when we saw Friday the 13th Part 3 the other night. I think Part 3 has probably some of the weakest scripts of the Friday well, series. Fucking the first, the first like, seven of the same fucking movie as far as I'm concerned. I know, but at least... There's, there's supporting teen characters that get killed off that I can't tell or from which fucking movie. I, I think Part 4, they at least try it a little different, like, like make them a little more unique. Well, I, I mean, casting Crispin Glover and just, like, his... Uh, his weird, dancing skills? Yes, his dancing skills and his weird ways of uh, enunciating his uh, sentences. That he, that he's a dead fuck. <laughs> a dead... Fuck, as this weird star that pops in like every now and then. It's just only when he's really nervous. Um, yeah, his dance skills are on point. And so Jamie at school is tormented by the little shit classmates. Yep, and they go fucking hardcore. They're like making, telling her that her uncle's the boogeyman. Like she has. So I'm guessing she hasn't been fully told. No, I mean, well, why would everything. you? And it's making fun of her that the mother's dead. So either she was told her uncle's the you know the boogeyman very very uh, on the down low because she runs out of school crying you know reassuring herself you're okay you're okay so I think something deep in her knows that something she has a bad family history but she may have never been told the full these kids are waiting for Twitter to start because then they get really uh, oh god man anonymously imagine if Halloween four fucking took place nowadays. I mean, I'm kind of curious, like, if that's going to be a part of a thing, and, like, social media is going to be part of the next Halloween movie somehow. I hope not. 
Yeah, Snapchat, like somebody Snapchats them, Michael killing them. Um, and so Rachel picks up uh, Jamie, accompanied by her friend Lindsay. Who, more fan speculation, it it can be said that the, the, the Rachel's friend Lindsay who's driving, you remember, like she tells, whether she gets the car, she says to Jamie, you remember Lindsay, don't you? Yeah. Is she kind of also talking to the audience? Is that like a little nudge at like, hey, past reference? It could be, could be Lindsay Wallace, Wallace but yeah. never fully determined. Yeah, you know. I mean, like, yeah. So at this point, she and she never be... comes back. This character never comes back. No, I, I mean, wish she did come back instead of Tina for part five. Yes, <laughs> I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest uh, missteps of part five. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> And so they go to Vince's drugstore. Uh, Jamie, de- Jamie decides instead of, you know. Not being run by uh, squints from uh, Sandlot. Jamie decides basically, you know, I want to go trick-or-treating like the little kids. Originally she doesn't because it's going back to what I just said. It's like so there's something she knows that's wrong in her family and the holiday of Halloween has something to do with it. Right. So she decides she wants to go trick-or-treating. So they go to the drugstore where uh, Rachel's boyfriend Brady works. Outside the drugstore, though, there was an, a familiar uh, towing truck that was stolen from a certain rest stop That's a few scenes probably earlier. one of my favorite shots in the movie is when the camera cranes down as the car, their car approaches the drugstore. The drugstore and, and across the, the street. In the foreground is the, the hook for the, tra- the tow truck that so, Michael was driving. So he's back. Exactly. And in the drugstore, we, you know, we meet. Uh, the boyfriend, Bra- or Rachel's boyfriend, Brady, that she's been talking so much, is going to make a commitment. He's hanging Played with his friends. Sasha Jensen. Sasha Jensen. The second, like, I know people who listen to Please Rewind. Like, this is the second time I've been talking about Sasha Jensen this week because I talked about Days of Confused. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, go to Please Rewind on RF4RM.com and you can find the Days of Confused episode. Go on. Smash that like button. Exactly. But anyway, Buy my book. Buy, Buy my, my book. Buy my book. <laughs> Convenience store clerk shot himself in <laughs> the... <laughs> hey, be careful with that gun! Oh, it's just, it's just a it's just a gun. It's not a bloody fox machine. <laughs> Anywho, in there, getting back to the subject of the teenage drama, we have Brady and you know two of his friends. And inside the store is uh, what the fuck was the character's name? We just watched this. You know, this is how unprepared what, what the, we are. The daughter's name, the daughter I, Kelly, I, I, Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Inside there is also working who happens to be uh, this. Teenage girl named Kelly. She is the sheriff of uh, the sheriff of Nottingham's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said sheriff of Nottingham for real. And then I caught myself. I'm like, say it anyway. The sheriff. I mean, anybody who makes a pass at his daughter will he will cut out their heart with a spoon. Yes, a beautiful woman working there, and one of Brady's friends is like getting up the courage to ask her out. You know, so yeah. we're going with, going with the teenage drama thing. They start putting money on it. He goes to ask her out. She just goes, "Fuck off." Yeah, that's tells me. Fuck off. That's how I, I try to ask somebody. Yeah, that's how I usually get. Anyway, fuck off, Tim. <laughs> Yeah. So Rachel arrives, you know, says hello, points Jamie to the uh, costume section. Jamie goes off on her own while they start, you know, smooching in the store. She unfortunately has to break the bad news to him that she got a babysit. He's all, you know, pouty. gets all pouty about it. But looking behind her, there's Kelly back there looking all hot. It's like, oh, I thought. But he suddenly calms down, like, hmm, like all of a sudden this isn't so tragic to him it's anymore. Like, he sees an opportunity in disguise right here. Yes. So. You know, Jamie goes off to look for a costume, and while she's looking, she's passing by the mask section, and in the mask section, hanging up is a very familiar-looking white mask. Mm-hmm. So, but Jamie goes to the clown costume. Goes to the clown section. Finds a nice clown costume she likes. Goes up Dad to was a, in the clown arts. Goes up to a mirror. She's, she's clowning around in the store. <laughs> the mirror holds it up oh, to oh. herself, and then has like a weird hallucination of a little boy holding a knife covered in blood wearing the same costume. Yeah. Obviously, Michael didn't wear the same costume, but this is her active imagination. Right. 
And she just like has a freak out moment. She backs up and bumps into some very tall person with burn marks all over his hands Mm -hmm. in blue coveralls. And she turns around and he's putting on this white mask that he is. We have seen this burned hand just a moment ago pull off the shelf. Right. She screams. He, you know, seemingly like goes to grab her. She backs up into the mirror, shatters it, and he bolts. Yeah. Rachel comes running over. She says, "What? What happened? It was the nightmare man." So. You know, no one's going to believe the little kid saying, oh, the guy in my nightmares is after me. It's funny because there was a mask called Nightmare Man that we see in the foreground at one point when, oh, she's, yeah. when she's going in. And I always thought it was a joke, like, on it – because it's kind of like a scarred face. I thought it's like a parody of, like, uh, Freddy Krueger. But because the next line that Rachel says, like, oh, it's probably something that just, – you just probably saw a scary mask that frightened you. Yeah. And so you just saying a fr- uh, nightmare man just remind me of that, but go on. But as they leave, the, we see that same white mask that was just stolen off the shelf and put on this burned coverall man in a piece of the shattered mirror, and he backs away. Which I I always love to look at that uh, yeah. Michael mask in the shattered uh, pieces of mirror. And so we cut to back to Loomis, who's hitchhiking. Poor across. Loomis, he's just walking. This old man walking down the highway with a bed limp, you know, covered in third degree burns, and you know, he's charred skin that's healed over time, trying to hitchhike. A couple of teenagers pass by. They like cheering on to him. Come on, come on, old man. He's running forward. And then as soon as he gets closer, they just peel out in the dust. Well, shit. And he has this look of like, almost like, are you people worth saving? <laughs> yeah, he's just like, like this, this is what's wrong with the youth of America here. Damn kids today. Exactly. But behind him in the dusk pulls up in a beat up old pickup truck. Right. Our wonderful friend, Mr. Carmen Philippi, actor Carmen Philippi, of, of, he's that crazy old man in the background in so many movies. Yes, he is. Uh, my favorite of his was in The Wedding Singer when, at the, later, I just want to... <laughs> later on in the movie when, uh, when, uh, was it Robbie's, you know, his heart's all broken. He's mm-hmm. basically drinking his sorrows away with John Stewart. Drinking his sorrows away. No, John Stewart was, that was Big Daddy. No, who's, who's the guy with the long hair? Who's the limo driver? Isn't that John Stewart? No. It is not John Stewart. That's not John Stewart. It's, it's, it's uh... is it? All right. Uh, but so anyway, he's drinking his sorrow. Up, uh, uh, he, like it's so yeah. He's he is picked up by uh, the this the guy who's playing the priest, and he was drinking and driving, and he has all these bumper stickers around that he just loves God and everything like that. And he asks what Loomis is doing. Everyone like, Sayers a name, and he's like, "Oh, I'm heading to Haddonfield." And he's like, oh, and like, what are you looking for? Loomis asked the, the reverend. And he's like, oh, I'm trying. Uh, the apocalypse, Armageddon, it always has a face in the name. I've come close a few times. Too damn close. And he's like, yes, I understand. And reverend realizes, like, oh, you're a pilgrim, aren't you? You're chasing, you're chasing it, too. I saw that look back in the dust. And so we had this scene where the reverend and... Loomis seemed to be like on parallel paths trying to fight an ultimate evil of some sort. And it's kind of a weird scene. Be- not a weird scene. It was but not he- John Stewart. It wasn't. It's not John Stewart. Nope. Then who the hell? Alan Covert. Oh, my bad. I am. But pilot. anyway, Carmen Phillippe's line in The Wedding Singer when Robbie's Adam Sandler is lamenting over his woman troubles. He says, well, you know, you do all these things. What, what, what do they do? And he points to him. My favorite Carmen Phillippe line, which I wish he would have fucking used in this somehow, you know, 10 years before. Hey, rip your heart out of your ass. Like, what does is, what is Michael Myers do? He rips your heart out of your ass. I, I go back to his scene in Wedding Singer where, like, sometimes it's like, do you know what? I, I want somebody to hold me and tell me everything's going to be okay. And then Carmen <laughs> Philippi, drunk, leans over and holds him and says, everything's going to be okay. He's only, like, slightly less drunk and disheveled than Halloween 4. As this, and he's wearing just, like, he's, is he wearing, like, ripped 
fucking reverend clothes. Yeah, he definitely seems like I was a defrocked or anything like that. But he's, just, like, he's just he's a mess. Yeah, he doesn't look like he has a drinking parish. and driving. Yeah, but still very spirited and still full of Jesus and the Lord. And he's talking about how he's hunting Armageddon and evil and how he's been hunting for 30 years. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know what this is a metaphor for when it comes to Loomis. But in my mind, I'm thinking, what really is he searching for? Maybe he's searching for a band named Armageddon or Apocalypse. Maybe he hates heavy metal and he's searching for bands that have... He would be that kind of person to, like, smash uh, heavy metal CDs in a parking lot and light them on fire in the name of... Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And so... Nightfall is... Loomis, well, well, before we get to that, Loomis seems to have, like, a real, like... He almost seems to have, like, a connection. Like, he likes this guy. He gets this guy. The the, th- the the last three movies that Donald Pleasance was in of Halloween, I really love his performances. I really feel like we get we get a, uh, a different Loomis. Like, in the first two, it's this guy that we know has had this obsession with evil, you know, for so long. It's taken over his life. But at the same time, you see he's just still human. You see, you know, he talks to people all nice and polite. He can have a good chuckle every now and again. He gets a kick out of scaring the shit out of kids or whatever. Yeah. You know, when, when the nurse comes, oh, I didn't see you there. How are you doing? You know, he, he's still he's still like a human. And this in Halloween 4... He's so, like, broken down, weathered. We a see shell just, of himself. A shell of his former self, like, just sarcastically not giving two shits about Dr. Hoffman. When he arrives at the police station, which we will talk about, just how, like, impatient he is about things, how – because how, he's, he's 10 years older. He's so weathered. Slowly becoming more and more unhinged as we, as we get on. Like, like, he's not – like, Loomis is almost not human anymore. This whole thing is now – because it's struck, it has consumed his life to such a degree where – He's lost, like, all semblance of being a person. We see it in Halloween 5. Halloween 5, I can't wait to talk about Loomis' scenes because he is just unhinged off his fucking rocker and obsessed with, like, stopping this till the climax of the fucking movie. Yeah. By part 6, we see, like, a lamenting Loomis who's put it all – who in the beginning has put it all behind him. Yeah. He's almost like – he's almost like a person again. Mm. But then when it's dug out, we just see him go back to being that old – but now instead of, like, crazy, just, like, tired and desperate. Yeah. The scene with with the Reverend is almost the last semblance of like humanity we see in Loomis because you know he, he he he's talking. What are you hunting, Mister Sayer? Oh, would you like a drink? And you see hmm. we see Loomis. Hmm. We get uh, that, yeah, like, like wide eye, wide eye looking down, like mouth pointed like hmm. Yeah. And then when when the Reverend starts singing at the car at the end of that little scene, he starts smiling like he gets a kick out of this guy. It's like it's like this is Sam Loomis, the person. It is coming back out again. Now I want like a side for the last time. I want a, a like a a kind of like a, a offshoot comic book about just the two of them fighting evil. <laughs> Other than Michael Myers, it's just the two of them like fighting the Necronomicon with Ash. Oh god! And just like the the hijinks that were ensue between the, <laughs> between the three of them. And so Nightfall has descended upon Haddonfield. Uh, Rachel and uh, Jamie's parents are going off to a party to hopefully that, that like the father will get a promotion, and so they have to like, be on their best behavior for that. Basically, he's going to snort cocaine off of his future boss's penis. Yes, killing off the nerve endings of of his genitals. It was still the eighties, so yes. that kind of thing happened all the time for jobs. Yes, exactly. And it was Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about certain executives in, <laughs> uh, in Hollywood that own oh, the Halloween franchise, but I did that. Oh, Harvey, <laughs> and how he touched it improperly with resurrection. <laughs> and so uh, somebody is is watching them from the window inside their house, and we presume it's Michael Myers. Uh, uh, Jamie puts on her clown costume, goes out trick or treating, and Rachel is in with them. And Parents have left; the house is on its own. Yeah, Michael goes inside and he finds that the confirmation that this is his niece. So I've been looking for. Sees the picture box still on the floor from the night before of her closet. Mm-hmm. Looks at the picture of you know Jamie Lee Curtis. 
it fi- it finds a picture of a young child wearing a clown costume. I think it's him. They're supposed to be but him. But that's the fucked up part. Like, who, who? How would you have gotten this? Who would have been saving it? You know? Why would you give that to her? Why would you give this to her? Unless the parent, unless the false parents didn't know, or unless Lori's parents didn't know. But I don't think they would have kept anything like that if they were trying to keep that memory out of her mind. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think it's just uh, just a loose way of trying to connect it to one and trying to make the points one to one for the audience. Yeah. And so Lewis arrives at the police station and we find out that in a Sheriff, panic. <laughs> yeah, and Sheriff Lee uh, Brackett is now retired into St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, Sheriff Meager played by Bo Star, the father in Goodfellas. Goodfellas, who beats Michael Myers with a belt yeah. for skipping school for a month. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want a Goodfellas voice of a narration by Michael Myers. It would just be. <sighs> <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a narration for the whole movie. You'd never know what's going on in Goodfellas. It's just the breathing at the end of ho- the first Halloween just playing out throughout the entire of Goodfellas. Uh, and so, and I love, like, I know one of the things that Rob Zombie said in an interview for the first Halloween, like how Loomis kind of looked like a crazy drunk person running around, and how Loomis comes in, like, in a huff. To the police station saying, like, Michael Myers is back. Like, oh, he's been drinking all afternoon in the, in the, in the fucking rusty old pickup truck. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I'm surprised, like, the sheriff, like, couldn't smell him walking in and does take him seriously at this point. Yeah. So Loomis, you know, comes in basically saying, Michael Myers is, has come home to kill. And they're saying, oh, you know, why? Of course, he's, he's, you know, 10 years ago, he went after Lois Strode. Now he's after a daughter. And Meeker, you know, he's, he doesn't want to listen to this fucking shit. He, obviously, they said they know who Loomis is. They're not going to forget his face around there. No. It, like most towns, you, when something like that would happen, they probably would blame someone like Loomis. Yeah, I, I can even see it within, like, the first couple of years after the incident of the first movie. But they probably, like, had, like, a, like the, I guess the, 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 the police department having a little meeting. Like, all right, this is things that we might have to look out for. We may see Sam and Loomis come strolling in and maybe cause havoc even though Michael's gone or there's kind of people playing pranks but afterwards it's kind of relaxed and then when he does show up people are like oh this guy does look familiar well I'm sure also after Eddie Brackett was killed we saw Sheriff Brackett's reaction to Halloween too like damn you you let him out that probably didn't help either and that's actually something touched upon in, in the first death of Laurie Strode where you know, Loomis wants to is back looking at the Myers house and everything and, and Brackett and Deputy Hunt pull up and start fucking screaming at him and Loomis basically saying, I know Michael Myers is still alive. And Deputy Hunt is like, sir, I know you mean well, but the, seeing your face around here is not what we need right now. No. Because, like, Loomis is very much a reminder of the fucking, you know, tragedy they went through 10 years ago. Right. That the whole town went through. And, and you can see, like, a contentious relationship between, like, uh, in, in First Blood with Brian Dennehy and uh, Stallone. Like, we don't like your kind around here. We want you just to get out of here. <laughs> and Loomis gets, grabs the Need you First Blood. Need <laughs> you First Blood. Lewis Nothing is over. <laughs> You don't just turn it off. Back then, I was a psychiatrist in charge of all these patients. Now I can't even get a job. Parking cars. <laughs> Lewis running around Hatfield with an M16 in his arms. Oh arm. God! The fucking kick- my God! The fucking <laughs> kickback would send him flying. We talked about Wiley Coyote before. The fucking kickback from an M16 would send him. I mean, like you know, like how he almost shot a kid on the street in Halloween too. Imagine what he had like that car until he blown away half the high school. How he caused the kid to get fucking hit by a car and explode into a well placed van that just happened to be filled with gasoline. Apparently, yes, like the fucking bread truck that was. It happened to be filled with C4. That was more fragile than a goddamn Pinto. It happened to be filled with C4 and the actual uh, fuse. And, and detonation mechanism just happened to be sitting right outside in the wheel well where the car was 
was <laughs> And so Sheriff Meager is convinced of the fact that Michael has returned because the phone lines are down. Well, also Loomis has to basically scream at him. Like, like he's brushing it off, brushing it, and finally Loomis snaps it. Six bodies, that's what I've seen between here and Ridgemont. And, and you know, me, you know, they try to get in touch with uh, the Carruthers, and the fucking phones are down. So Meeker's finally like, all right, let me take this shit seriously. Yeah, and because at least the one thing that Loomis never phoned it in. That's the one. That's Donald. the one. Of the best things about him, and, and a great thing. He was willing to come back. He wasn't above the material, no matter he, how. It really hasn't been the same without him, and the thing. That's one of the things that, like, I am still looking very much forward to this new movie. But without Donald Pleasance there, it's just oh my god. With Carpenter back and Jamie Lee Curtis back again, yes. But with all this whole thing really wanting to just continue from the first one it just it, it won't be the same without him man I, I bet you we may see a photo of him or oh there's got there's gonna be re- i'm sure there's gonna be references out the ass to him i'm sure i'm kind of almost hoping that there's gonna be like a fucking journal or something that pops up yeah that like laurie's held on to that was given to her or whatever i'm hoping there's gonna be something major where the character of dr loomis's presence is very much alive even yeah. if donald pleasance is not yeah we hope that pleasance is pre- present he'd be 99 and by the time this movie came out if he were still alive oh wow oh you're right Don Pleasance would be 99 years old um and so after that we find out though we go we cut back to uh jamie and uh, rachel uh trick-or-treating and we discover uh, that brady has hopped off from one train to the other yep. he's, he's spending the night with kelly they treat trick-or-treat at the meeker house jamie meets up with a couple of kids from school who think she has a cool clown costume so they accept her now despite so. the fact that they hazed her earlier yes, today. the moral of the story people is conform just always conform do whatever the the group and the herd tells you to do because fitting in is more important than anything else. No matter what, even if it changes, even if what you have to fit into changes, and even if what you have to change into to fit in contradicts what you were, always change. Anyways, never compromise, even in the face of Armageddon. Yes, and so, um, and so we find out that Kelly is like is Brady staying at the the Meeker house. She's wearing just a t- long t shirt and underwear, answering the door, trick or treating, and in the background there's old Brady. Yeah, and the t shirt says "Cops do, do it, it by, by the, the book." And I a I, joke I, you did not get. No, not until tonight. I didn't realize what the joke on the shirt meant because I'm a moron. Because she's a hoe and cops, daughter of a cop, and they do it by the book. Yeah, I'm just like mm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, don't do that. Did I ever tell you about the weird uh, sexual experience I had at Wendy's once? Was it with that woman that wouldn't leave us alone? <laughs> no. Before our first recording of the show? No. Should, is this something you want to share to the world? No, because I'm pretty sure Dakota's brought it up. Before. All right, well, you just said no, so moving along. <laughs> uh, or at least like, it, it, it's, if it's not brought up, it's, it's going to be brought up in a future episode. Soon, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, and so Brady and Rachel have a fight, and Jamie goes off with the group, leaving Rachel, uh, Rachel behind. It's one thing you never do: teach your kids that you always have to stay with your chaperone, guardian, or, or use the buddy system. That's what I was like—the buddy system. Exactly. You walk off on your own from the group, and Rachel walks away from him in a huff. And Brady's like, "Oh well, I'm just going to go back and enjoy my time with Kelly." Go bang this hotter chick. Yeah. Oh no, I'd say they're, they're both very attractive. I think Kathleen Kinmont is more attractive than uh, Ellie Cornell. Okay. Um, so Until part five where we get that shower curtain scene. Yes. Where you get that very thin shower curtain. That's why you love Blu-ray. Bush was not the only one in office that year. <laughs> the thoughts and opinions that represent uh, the companies they happen to work for. Um, <laughs> and so we cut to uh, Shit Kicker Central in the bar. And we have a couple of beer bellies uh, trying to find here on the broadcast, like, oh, we're has to shut down and get behind uh, doors. And like, they're like, 
I'm not closing up shop without a good goddamn exclamation. So Earl yeah, uh, a, picks up the phone and calls the police station. And it just rings. He's wondering why, you know, the news is broadcasting. Everyone shut down your businesses. Go the fuck home. Lock yourself up behind doors. Yeah. Uh, and the phone line just rings. And it rings. And the phone does not just ring at a police station. So finally they grab all the goons. Yeah, and they hop in their pickup trucks. Hop in their pickup truck right over all these drunks right over the police station. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Loomis... Uh, not yet. Not yet. Because oh, yeah, next, right. next is... Uh, we just watched this. <laughs> that's, why, uh, that's why I'm glad I take my notes. Uh, we cut to the power station. Bucky. Bucky Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> this is how he became the Winter Soldier. He yes. got tossed to us and paralyzed. He got all his powers. Basically, yes. At the electrical plant, Michael Myers shows up, kills a power plant attendant by throwing him into the grid, thus knocking the power out for uh, all of Haddonfield. And apparently, according to the documentary on the Blu-ray, uh, like the prop master was named Bucky. And so that's why the... the Outfit and helmet was named Bucky because that's how he's trying to sneak his name into the movie. And I love it. There's one moment where we cut from when uh, Bucky hears something approach and he walks over to, to investigate. And we cut to his point of view and Michael's behind the truck. And we see him like um, through the oh, car window or the windshield. And he kind of just like – he like uh, MC Hammer's like slides into into frame. And I always thought this was funny. He's like, like on the skateboard. It comes to a stop right in the frame. And so he tosses, he th- tosses, but it wasn't hammer time. No, he did have magical shoes in this, mm. but he does toss Bucky onto the power on the power uh, like power system, and it, it short circuits, killing him and shutting off the powers of the town. And then that's when Rachel is continuing her search for uh, uh, Jamie. Jamie now in the dark, darkened streets, and people and parents are grabbing their kids off the street left and right. Oh yeah, so the streets are pretty much deserted by this point because which everyone... I wish they showed more than just one shot, and like maybe just a couple, like like a few shots, of like in, like in a succession of just parents grabbing their kids and showing the panic on the street. You could show, little... yeah, you could show like uh, doors slamming shut and locking sounds from a distance. Yeah, I mean, I think of like a great example of this is it actually a Nightmare Before Christmas when. All the families who know that Santa Claus is coming, they lock up. Like, they turn up their fireplaces, they lock their windows, they bolt their doors. Something like that could have been used, like, done really quickly here. Well, look at Scream during the the little mo- the curfew montage. Yes. I mean, like, that was, like, like they were just getting prepared for it. There wasn't, like, ever present, like, we are in danger. So that's why the, like, people were in a hurry, but not in, like, a extreme hurry that, that could have been done here. Yeah, I think it was fine, ultimately. Right. No, it, that's a total nitpick, but um, Rachel comes across uh, a shadow in in the dark. She's searching through, like, back alleys behind houses and stuff where she was. And in the back where there's, like, some fog brushing by, there's a figure. In the back. Now, this was not the first Halloween movie not to be shot in Pasadena, California. It's actually shot in Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City, City, Utah. Rising production costs. Thanks, Callie. Yeah, and so... Thanks, SoCal. <laughs> How do you think the look of this movie, uh, location-wise, comparison to 1 and 2? Well, at least it's fall this time. But, no, I thought it fit in actually rather well. And one of the cool, another thing that ties the next three movies together, 4, 5, and 6, is the fact that they shot all three in Salt Lake City. I personally, I'm, I thought it was cool. And especially when 6 came around, when the, the Myers house that they found for 6, which is, the, you know, a million times fucking better than the one they found Fun for five. Five. Yeah, yeah, the fucking Frankenstein <laughs> mansion that they have. But yeah, just like, but also like the layout of the streets and everything, it was damn close. Yeah. It was damn close. It looked, it looked good. It looked like, you know, like 17 years later, this is what that street could look like. Yeah. I mean, the joke I made before we started recording is like, it's closer to the Midwest than Pasadena. Yes. So I, I'm on board. I mean, truthfully, I, I really would have loved to see 
Pasadena be for all three. Of course. Just because those neighborhoods, you know, were so iconic, they fit in. You have that imagery burned in your mind when you think Halloween. I mean, like, hell, like, even, like, the neighborhoods around here that uh, uh, that we drive around sometimes, you, we immediately, our minds immediately go to Halloween. Garden City, man. Exactly. Garden City, New York, on Long Island. I remember when I used to do uh, HVAC. Driving through, because I used to have appointments in that town all the time. There was one road I passed by. I wish I could remember the name of it. I texted you immediately. I'm like, dude, if we do another, or if we ever do like a Halloween fan film, I think at, at the time we did Which not. Which I'll talk about when we get off air, Mike. Stay tuned. Yeah. But if we ever do, it's like we're using this fucking road. And hopefully the rich assholes that live here. Any well, you... we, we have to do, if we have to do a grill style, like we always do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like we just do it quick. Yeah. Anyone that loses it will just fucking complain and call the cops. Yeah. So, oh my God, there's people outside our, our safe white homes. You know, they look, <laughs> they, they look uh, like miscreants. They look like South Shore people. Yeah. Even though we're not. No. I'm fucking, I'm North Shore. Yeah, rep- you're more North Shore. Represent. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm sick of the rich douchebags that live around here. The, there is, my property uh, value. For people up. who are not uh, from the island, there is a kind of slight um, rivalry between Nassau and Suffolk County. Mm-hmm. The two big uh, counties that... Uh, de- Suffolk's de- bigger. Yes. Um, that's why people say, like, Suffolk County should have two uh, area codes because of the size of it. Like, it should be 61 and, like, the farther east end should be something else. But there is... I remember when it was all 516. Really? I go back that far, yep. When, Actually, when, it might have been like the year you were born. We changed. I mean, that's why that was my next question. Like, when did they change over? From I think it was ninety-one or ninety-two because I remember it was five one six of the whole island. It was so, happens when too many people move to your home. It, it's so funny because I got a call from a five one six number recently, and I was just like, "What? Like, why does that sound familiar?" And not knowing Nassau. It's, it's Nassau County. Um, and so Rachel finds Jamie, and that's when uh, the sheriff and Lewis Cap meet up with them as well. But Michael shows up. And then Michael shows up. And then Michael shows up. Yeah. Four or five people dressed as Michael Myers show up ominously in the background. Now, this is something that I wish they could have done more with. An idea of it, like, it's kind of like how in Scream 4, where, like, it's a a town aware of its own legend and kind of playing on that. And where, like, like, you could have gone, like, maybe there could have been copycat killers or, or there could have been something, like, to make it... Something like it could, like the the legend of Michael Myers is spreading, even even and like people are so aware of these copyheads are unaware of the fact that Michael has actually returned. Well, here's the thing though: when you say copyheads, do you mean legitimate copycat killers? Please don't forget we were also coming off of Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, which the copycat killer aspect was frowned upon. Yeah, I, I mean, because but there was one. Yeah, I mean, like if you kind of like lean, lean so I, I, well, I just know, the concept I feel was like. Something you could look at and just say, eh, it didn't work for them, let's not try it. I know it's like, it was the original idea for Scream 3 by Kevin Williamson was kind of like what the, the following, his TV show with Kevin Bacon was kind of the, fo- the premise of it. It's like a copycat killer of a serial killer and he's trying to hunt them down. And the idea would be like the original opening of Scream 3 where or it was going to be like Ghostface kills somebody and then like, a few people and then they all get up and they all clap because they just recreated like, a famous – or like they created their own version of it. Oh, truth. And, and then they're stalked by the actual ghost face. Well, look at technically all the scream killers are copycat killers. They're copying what Billy and Stu did. That's true. Even though Roman Bridger, you know, spoilers for Scream Three. Even though yeah. Roman Bridger, Sydney's half brother, mm-hmm. was the guy that set them on that course, they were the ones that actually yeah, you know, it's a, it's pulled a, it's it a off. neat retcon that can work. So if anything, he's a copycat of the fucking people he set in motion. Which I just find ironic that he ends up getting the director's gig of a story that he kind of set in motion. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, he was a California boy raised in that environment. Yeah. And so the sheriff and Lewis pull their guns and all the people run away like, oh, I'm pulling Take it off their mask, start laughing, ha, 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 you know. 
which just like shit, shit has to do. Kids. Yep. And Michael watches them actually leave. But one of them doesn't take off his mask. And as they pull away, it's the real one standing there looking at him, driving away. Right. And so they go back to the Sheriff's house. house. The Grothers' house. No, they don't. They, they do not go back. They go back to Sheriff Meeker's house. Yes. Well, they go to the police station. Oh, they, go, they go back to the police station first, yes. Um, and that's when we find it's in complete disarray. And before this, because we're completely off our fucking rockers because it's late on Sunday night, at one point, Meeker and Loomis do go to I feel like the Carruthers. really important. That scene. I mean, really? Well, they de- they determine that Michael Myers really is back at that yeah, point. Yeah, the see dog's the, dead. They find the dead dog. You know, the uh, photos all over the floor still. Right. Which is another like it's another like it's, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Uh, but that uh, that scene that we just that was a while before that we completely forgot about because of how wonderful we are. Yeah. Uh, that's that basically is, their confirmation. Yeah, and it's pretty much like and it's just a repeat of like in, when they go to Myers' house on Halloween one when they find like the dead, dead dog. The dead. dead yeah. Uh, at least. I don't think he ate part of this dog. I think he was just doing it because dogs fight against evil, and Michael hates dogs. Eh, but you never know. I know. That's the thing, though. I've owned dogs where it's like if we always say, oh, if someone breaks the house, they'll just lay down and let the, let the guy pet him. Yeah. So who knows? But they go back to the police station. They go inside, and the fucking police station is completely trashed. Lights are out, and there's dead police bodies all over the fucking place. They're literally ripped to shreds. Yes, like arms ripped off and stuff. Baker says, "Who man wouldn't do this? You know, this isn't a man. The famous line: This isn't a man we're dealing with. What are we dealing with? Evil. And so they go outside where the uh, the beer bellies, the, red, the rednecks, yeah. the team of rednecks from Earl's Earl and his team of rednecks buddies from his bar show up. Like banjo music playing, they should be. Um, and we discover something really interesting on your copy of the Blu-ray from the Shout Factory here at this point in the movie. Yeah, well, no, this was this was Anchor Bay." It was Anchor Bay. Shot Factory, did that one, yep. We were watching my copy of Halloween 4 from the 15-disc uh, limited edition uh, complete collection. And unfortunately, around this point, like the 45-and-a-half-minute mark, for a good 10 minutes, there is uh, the audio and video goes out of sync. Yeah. From what I was reading online while we were watching this, allegedly it also happens in, in uh, Anchor Bay's original Blu-ray release, which we'll talk about later, but it's not as severe as this. They issued out replacement discs, and I didn't. I guess I didn't know about it or even care, but I didn't make the cutoff. I'm about four years late to that party, so. I'm they had, stuck. So they had an official ca- uh, cutoff for when you can uh, claim it. Yeah, because you had to have proof of purchase and all this shit. Oh. It's dumb because we because we both were like because we were not saying we were half watching because we were both on our phones like I was on my phone you were on your tablet like I, I was tweeting with somebody like back and forth a little bit while we we're watching and taking notes and I just happened to look up and just realized that the the audio and video yeah. was out of sync. I, I noticed it, but the thing is, it wasn't that bad to like because I, I I go back to the early days of like downloading shit on like Kazaa and LimeWire right and you had stuff there that was just so god awful fucking bad in quality shit would be crazy out of sync mm-hmm. whatnot so I, I mean I guess I'm not as sensitive to it because if it's not off by like a horrible amount I can live with it or even let let it slide or even just like not even notice it mm-hmm. yeah because like there's like there are some files that you've given me um, that um, it pertains to uh, certain wrestling stuff. Like, they, like some of it's a little out of sync, and I have to like if I want to go back and rewatch, rewatch, like I do adjust the audio delay through my VLC player, and so it could be synced up like that. But it was just something that we just noticed on this one. And what we find out in the scene is that Earl, the leader of this band of um, miscreants, uh, uh, misfits, was the saying, not miscreants. Um, I didn't misfits. They seem to fit right in. He's a bar owner. Yeah, and bar that, owner always fits and, in. And that his son was one of the victims ten years ago. And they become a lynch mob. 
basically. And Loomis was the one that says it was Michael Myers who did all this. You know, he, he, Loomis basically wound him up, thinking that these people, these armed fucking, you know, emotionally unstable hillbillies. With their Second Amendment, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I own a gun myself, but yeah. I don't run around in the back of a pickup truck with it, yeah. That you know, like these people will be the only defense we really have. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is one of those weaker aspects of a script that was written in 11 days. But it feels like I don't know. Maybe Loomis was kind of just like, what the fuck else do we have to lose? At least these people are armed. Yeah, I mean, do you think this is the right decision on Loomis's behalf, setting off this? Uh these people half cocked or oh, fully cocked. God no, because as we'll talk about how it turns out. But yeah. the thing is, I mean, at that point, how can you really lie to him? What if they walk into the police station? Say, oh yeah, move along, nothing to see, everything's okay, everything's all right, fine. You just call uh, me officer, butt baby. Uh, <laughs> everything's okay. Uh, everything's yeah. fine here. How are you? <laughs> uh, we're sitting in a squad. Oh uh, no, uh, boring conversation. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Lomis, we're gonna have company. <laughs> no, Leia. But yeah, it's like, what the fuck else could you say? I mean, I, I think Loomis at this point knew that, like, all right, this evil person is never gonna fucking be destroyed. But at least I've got some kind of defense to hold him off. Yeah. So Loomis kind of unleashes these guys, and it's interesting when you hear Earl lost his boy ten years ago. It's like, I wonder who it was. You think it was Bob, the character of Bob from Halloween One? You think it was Bud? I say Bob because I think age-wise, because I think uh, I mean Bud came in like a little bit older. I mean, I would say Bob, or like, or like, I don't, it could be even fucking like Earl could be like could be, that could be Ben Trimble's father for all we know. True. The, the, he should, he should be shooting Lewis. Lewis. He's the one who got Lewis. He's the one who got Ben Trimble. He's the one who distracted him where a cop yeah. fucking ran into his ass. I mean, like he should have brought him like the fucking firing squad at that point. So more speculation, you know. They, they, they're good at this, you know, trying trying to link things together with just like almost like Easter eggs. Yeah, and so these drunks go off basically vowing revenge on fucking Michael Myers. They go off in their pickup truck to hunt him down and shoot him, hunt him down and shoot him like a raccoon. Yeah, and so the one police officer that's still alive, it's at the um, Deputy Logan. He was told to wait at the Carruthers' house for them to get back. Right, while they he, went and looked for them, then he gets a radio. Dispatch from Meeker to meet him at his house, and little does he know that Michael's actually asleep in the back seat. Um, and he, Logan becomes an Uber for the time being. Uber before there was Uber, except he doesn't molest him. <laughs> this is so fucked up. Like how many stories of like how many people just slept with their Uber drivers or being molested by Uber drivers because of that. Um, and so then we cut back to the hillbillies, thinking they find Michael Myers. They're driving down the street. I see him. I see him. So they start opening fire. Where they think he actually is, because they saw a brush kind of bounce in the wind. Yeah. They go up there, and it turns out they killed some guy named Ted Hollister. Yeah. Which I wonder, like, what was he fucking around in the bushes anyway? I mean... I don't know, man. Maybe he was stopping to throw up because he was wasted or something. Yeah, and he... was he, masturbating he, in the woods because yeah, he's a sex pervert. And then... <laughs> if he was a pervert, they're like, ah, that's our defense. Like, we... we there you look, go. Uh, that's... It, but it's like... I love it. It's like, that's... It's Ted Hollister... And Earl looks to his buddy, who the one who said who he saw Myers, like you, you dumb, said you saw Myers, you dumb son of a bitch. But also another thing with I feel like I feel like the weakness with the eleven day script is that like they kind of does this mean they kind of just leave his ass there? There's no police force. Nope. Uh, uh, you know, can't exactly call nine one one. I'm sure the dispatcher was fucking dismembered as well. Yeah. 
they call in, they call the hospital directly and say, "Hey, come pick up this guy we just shot." Uh, or no did, they, or did they just bounce and left his ass there? That's what I'm kind of thinking. It's like they just bailed on Ted Hollister's fucking corpse before the everybody in the neighborhood who just probably were woken up by it the... was Michael Myers. I know he uses a knife, but he was using a gu- several guns at once. <laughs> he stopped reloading and kept shooting just in case he was dead. Yeah, I know it looked like it was seven people that shot him. He must have just shot him with seven people's... Uh, what if it was just one guy with six guns? It was one guy with six guns. He had that multi-gun. <laughs> uh, and so at the Meeker house, we find out that um, Brady and Kelly are about to get it on. Yep. As the cinema snob says, in a sex scene so tame, it's not even edited for television broadcast. Her side boob is kind of blurred out. a lot out. of awesome side boob. It's blurred in out in, uh, on AMC. It is? Yeah. Damn. What uh, is glorious side boob. <laughs> I just hear Peter Griffin whenever he's separate. That's my shite, boob. Um, they are startled by the pulling up of the police car. And so, he Bra- can't, so he can't uh, – no, I'm not going there. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Brady – you know, they basically in a big rush to get their clothes back on yeah. <laughs> before Brady gets killed. They all walk in together. We've Ra- all been there, ladies and gentlemen. Rachel gives both of them just a nasty look. Yeah. Uh, Meeker just – Slush saves them. Meeker just basically saying everyone, you know, just we're going to lo- – Rachel take Jamie upstairs. We're going to lock up the house. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to fortify this fucking place. Yeah. Um, Deputy Logan finally arrives. They get in there. He sends Brady up to the attic, you know, with some roofing nails and a hammer to fucking secure their attic With a double shotgun and a few shells. Yep. He threatens to use the shotgun on Brady if he ever catches him groping his daughter. You know, they set up all kinds of lanterns. They have a two-way radio in the basement. Basically, they get everything set up. His front door's got a metal deadbolt. Back door is padlocked. You know, no one can get in or out. Unfortunately, the the uh, extra their own prison. Yep, the extra passenger that was riding back there, he's kind of uh, you kind of locked him in there with you. Yep, he's resourceful like that. Yep, and so uh, on the radio, uh, they they make contact with the state police and they say like we're going to get back to you as soon as possible when we start mobilizing. Loomis goes decides to go back to the Crothers house in order to hunt for Michael. Ma- this, this felt kind of weak too because it's like. How you, it's the only way to get him out of the story for him to come back later. Yeah, it's like, do you really want to face Michael by yourself? It's like... It's obviously, it seems like Lewis has a death wish at this point. He does, but the thing is, him dying isn't going to help anything. No, he, he would want to vanquish him himself. I mean, vanquish him before he passes. I mean, that's why I think that's why that's so much of his drive is based upon but that. But what's this little old man going to fucking do? He's off. He shot him earlier today. He's done jack all. Yeah, so it's like it, it felt like a weak excuse to get him out of there. Yeah, I mean, as well as the next thing is that we find out uh, over the radio that the rednecks killed Ted Hollister. At which point, Meeker just feels he's got to go back out there and freaking you know get wrangle him or somehow wrangle him, get a, get a hold of the situation before anyone else gets fucking killed. Right, I think because this is probably a rewrite because of the initial ending that 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 was planned for that he was going to die that, fighting Michael in the basement. Yes. So while it's going on, you know, the the teen drama is continuing where uh, – Bro- uh, I almost said Brody. My friend's dog is named Brody. He's adorable. English bulldog. Love him. Oh. Love you, Brody. But uh, Brady comes to check on Rachel and Jamie where, you know, I guess in that scene Rachel told Jamie or the Loomis told Jamie. Somebody told you because Jamie's, you know, in tears. And uh, Rachel tells Brady. It's like Michael Myers. He's like, who? Ten years ago, Halloween. He killed a bunch of people. It's Jamie's uncle. And Jamie says, the kids at school were right. No, no, no. I find it kind of weird. Um, don't you think, like, maybe it's just a small town. Like, maybe they, they, they want to have that memory kind of forgotten. Do you, you, I just find it kind of interesting that Brady didn't know off the top of his head who he was. Like, it's just like one of those town legends that you feel like that's something you'd be told as a kid, like Michael Myers used to be a killer in this town. Well, I look at it this way. 
How old would you say like the teen characters are? 16? 16, 17? Yeah. All right, so 10 years prior, they're only like six or seven years old. A little bit younger than Tommy and Lindsay. I remember when I was in eighth grade and I first learned about the Gulf War. I'm like, wow, a war happened in my lifetime? I was about six or seven when the Gulf War happened. Mm-hmm. When you're that little, you're kind of not the most aware about you know major things happening in the world around you. I mean, yes, the Gulf War was a very big thing, but also this small town serial killer was a big deal, but as a little kid, it's something your parents won't really want to expose you to. So I can understand why people who are teenagers now wouldn't know what this is and would find it out later. Going back to Carpenter and Hill's original concept where the whole town has tried to bury this, but these kids that were very little when it happened want to know what the hell's going on, and they almost unearth its memory. Right, and so when Brady goes upstairs to start nailing the window shut so they can keep him inside... um, Rachel and Kelly have a little bit of exchange about like what she had done, and like Rachel and like Kelly's defense is like, "Yo, like if you don't change your attitude and way you hold yourself, like you, Brady's not gonna be the last person you're gonna lose." Basically, says more blowjobs. Yeah, it's like it's, it's just like if you it, like intimates like if you don't put out, you're gonna lose men. Yeah, which and, I mean, she tries to justify by just like that's how she justifies her actions. Different strokes for different folks. But. Yeah, <laughs> and Rachel doesn't have it and throws coffee on her. Yeah. Um, but the whole scene when when Brady's nailing you know the attic the attic window shut and the whole no not when Brady's nailing Kelly <laughs> that's why you're going he, for no it. he got cut off with that yeah that's why I'm saying he like, didn't get to hammer that nail zing no no wood no wood was nailed yeah, that he night. really screwed up that job yes he's when, kind of a tool when like he's that. basically doing this you know it's it's a pretty wide shot where he's like very much to the left and they're giving you sort of a lot of hints that like it's basically a false atmosphere. Where, oh my God, is Michael up in this attic with him? I felt that a lot too when Rachel was, you know, walking around looking for Jamie earlier. Those were two scenes that really did work for me when I first watched them. Like, oh, like I got a eerie, unnerved feel. Well, because that, like in like the first Halloween, it, it tries to set up the atmosphere, like the atmosphere that Michael could be anywhere. Yes, and, and the, I think that's what this, these scenes were attempting. Yes, on. and that's very appropriate for the Halloween series. That's one of its greatest strengths. So yeah. I, I really enjoyed those. I mean, like hell, it even tries to recreate like him popping out of darkness. I don't know where, where Rachel goes to talk to Deputy Logan for a moment, and he's in the background. And he's like, a, he's a speck. Say, he's very hard to miss. I mean, well, yes, yeah, no, 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 not very hard. He's very easy to miss. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, it's late. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. And so he pops up in their conversation, and he pop, goes back in the shadows right before Logan goes to take a look down the hallway. Um, and so Rachel goes back upstairs. Um, Kelly comes out with the coffee and a changed shirt. And starts talking to Deputy Logan, who's sitting in the chair. Sitting in his rocking chair, rocking back and forth, very quiet, very still. And yeah, and he's very, like, and, like, Logan's, like, kind of, like, is not one for words to begin with. So that's why Kelly just keeps talking to pretty much, like, herself at this point. She lights a candle that's near her in order to, like, just give some illumination to this little entrance here. We find out that, uh, Deputy Logan, Logan's dead. His head's, like, twisted around. Yep. And we find out that the person sitting in the chair is actually Michael Myers with a gun. The gun. And she doesn't scream. Right? <laughs> she yeah, she like, starts like, hyperventilating. She, pretty much. I mean, like, I, I don't blame her for that like, because I don't know how it, I'd react in that situation. I'd fucking scream. Yeah. Um, I, 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 get, I, cannot, I can't say for certain that I would scream right away or not. So I can't. I would pause for a minute, look at it, and scream. She had plenty of time to scream. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe she was not that good of a screamer, so they'd say, they like, all right, maybe we'll just do the... Uh, or guess. a scream would alert the rest of the characters too early to this... Yeah, which, which I don't know how they do not hear the fact that Michael uses the shotgun and impales, impales her, her through, through the, the wall. wall. Yeah. And like that kills her immediately, A, and they do not hear it. Mm-hmm. 
And I love, I love the the joke that the angry video game nerd has made. Like, what does he? He stabbed with a gun. What does he do? Shoot with a knife as well? <laughs> throwing uh, knives now. Yeah, he gets exactly. The throwing knives. He gets the throwing knives from Desperado with the little crosses on him. He, he robbed Danny Trejo of those knives. He hits him with the handle, just like Ghostface in Scream Three. Just <laughs> clunk. I totally thought that's how he. Like, I, mean, I thought that's how he's going to die because they show that in the trailers uh, for, for Scream Three. Anyway, Rachel realizes Jamie is gone. And oh no, no, Jamie's uh, Rachel's in the basement on the radio, and here's the state troopers are coming. Yeah, she, she was basically left to, when when uh, Meeker left. She was basically left to tend to the fucking uh, ham radio in the basement. So finally, the state troopers get back in touch with her, tell her that help is on the way. So she goes up to tell help everyone. Help is on the way, dear. Mrs. Doubtfire is coming to save save them. <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna uh, Michael, Mi- Michael Myers is allergic to to, uh, to uh, pepper, so yes. she's going to place pepper all over a shrimp and feed it to him. That's all Blofeld had to do to defeat James Bond. Just give him a fucking shrimp with pepper on it. All these years, I, I knew he was allergic to the shellfish. So I never used it to my and, advantage. And Donald Pleasance could have done it. Exactly. But anyway, he could have done that in the institution. Like, oh my god. You wow. only eat shrimp once, Mr. Bond. <laughs> um, and so she goes upstairs, uh, discover um, Logan and uh, Kelly dead, Rach, yep. and Jamie's gone. Runs into Brady, who uses his two shells in the barrel to try and destroy the lock on the door, which does nothing when they realize yep. the, the deadbolt. Dead the deadbolt inside the door is actually metal. Metal. You can't. You know, they, they find out they're trapped in the fucking house. They go upstairs. They run upstairs and they find Jamie at the top of the stairs. Uh, Rachel realizes Michael's downstairs by the fireplace. And he Over the balcony, Brady looks. He warns them. Right. Yep. And he shoots, not realizing he he spent he wasted both round uh, shells on the door. Yep. Tries to reload. Tries to reload while standing still, which you don't do when someone, even when someone is a killer, is slowly approaching you. Yeah, I mean, like how many, how many, how many video, how many like on, online video games you play when you reload? You never stop moving when you're playing online, unless you're, you're in cover. Yeah, um, and so he tries to, he does reload. He does a very good. I gotta say, uh, the actor's name Sasha Jensen. Yeah, uh, Jensen does a really good job of like nervously fumbling to get because it's a double barrel gun. Yeah, he's got to take both shells out. Pop, he gets the pop, second one stuck. Yeah, it gets jammed a little bit, and then it gets, it, gets it back in. By the time he lifts the gun up, Michael's right there, like in front of the camera, knocks it out of the way. You know? Which is weird because there is one cut of him like it's it's like a few frames where we see Michael like race forward. It's him while he's still in front of the door, <laughs> the front door. <laughs> That's awesome. And then and then it cuts to the wide of it, looking up at the banister of him uh, grabbing the gun as uh, shots are pulls the trigger and fires. Um, Best him. Yeah. Uh, he who then he tries to use it as a baseball bat. Sasha tries to use a baseball bat on Michael. Michael grabs it with both hands, knocks it into his face, like and drops, hockey stick drops it off the balcony. So, yeah. so Brady's on arm. Rachel's screaming, come with us, come with us. Brady, you know, in like his arc, basically redeems himself by sacrificing his life to save Rachel and Jamie. So, so I'm not going to pour this on my on my floor, but one, 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 one for my boy. One, Yeah, one for uh, Brady. One for Brady. Um, Michael and- grabs him, and in, in a really cool just it's, – it's, it's a simple effect. It's all about lighting. He basically grabs him by the neck. Picks him up, holds him up, and slowly starts crushing his neck and face. And yeah. all it really is is like Sasha Jensen just standing on something. Yeah, with, with uh, George Wilbur's hands like around his neck, you know, doing like, that like just putting his fingers like into his jaw, into his bit, like, into his face around. around his neck, you know, with that like fake like like that fake uh, grip. Yeah, like when you look like your muscles are tense and gripping, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And there's the sound of bones crunching. It's a pretty cool effect. Yeah, I mean because. Barely any blood. No. I mean, like, well, like we've done a few things that were like, it's all sound and it's mm-hmm. worth. I mean, like, when we did uh, 15-second short, when, like, Sarah turned her head up, uh, when your character around, turned yeah. her head around. Like, simple effect. Most of that is sound. It sells it. 
And same thing when we blew up my friend Steve's penis, like, for one of the shorts as well. And just, and it's just sound effect. Uh, 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 it's all in your imagination. Pool toy being blown up and some blood is shot on Nikki's face. There you go. There we go. And so uh, Rachel and uh, Jamie get up to the roof. They get up to the attic, basically. Yeah, to the attic. as much shit down as they can. Trying to get out, but he did such a good job securing those windows. Yeah, to the window, to the wall. So she's got to she got smash the glass out with a the suitcase. They get up on top of the roof. This is what we were talking about earlier, where Michael's pursuit of them. The house was originally supposed to be engulfed in flames, but budgetary reasons, it was cut out. Right. But the chase is still there. There is, I would say, there's a good degree of suspense going on right now. Yeah, and they built a set of the roof. And they placed it into a field in Salt Lake City, where like, and it was just pure blackness. It was like fall off right at, right past the roof. So, and they kind of shot up at it to make it look like it's taller enough. And so, sure, you only like six feet off the ground. Like you could twist your ankle, you fell off it, but it's much safer and more secure than shooting on an actual uh, roof. But was it because in production, Ellie Cornell would they put it together really quickly when they lose their their uh, footing and slide down and hit the chimney? A roofing nail, fucking. Slice her, Slice st- her stomach, stomach open. open. And to her credit, she finished the scene. Yeah. This was a grueling shoot. Like Ellie Cornell stated that um, shooting was like 42 days. Her and, her and uh, Daniel Harris were on set for like 36 or 38 of them. Yeah. So they, they really – it was boot camp. Yeah. Movie and, boot and, camp. And majority of them being at night shoots, which were incredibly tough. Night shoots. And it was you – know, I think they, they, they shot it what, in the spring, I think. Probably. Early on, because the, I know the uh, script was written in March, right? Or actually, no, uh, February, the end of uh, end of February, right before the writer's strike. Okay. So it had to have been filmed like early spring. Yeah, the spring or like like maybe like late spring, early summer at that point to get it out by. Because I, I know one of the re- the one thing I've seen is that it was like really fucking cold. Yeah, I mean we were talking about earlier. For those middle-of-the-night shoots. Right, like, as I, I have a buddy, like, a filmmaker who runs Witching Season Films, uh, who does all, like, if you want to talk about, like, Halloween-centric, like, uh, anthology films, look up Witching Season Films on YouTube. Michael Balof, um, he's a, he's from Utah, and that's where they shoot it. And it's, like, it's freaking freezing in there. And, like, when, it's, when it got frequently warm, he's like, what is this? He's posting on his social media, like, this is not strange. This, 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 I mean, this is strange. This is not supposed to be like this. Anyway, and so... Rachel falls off the roof when she's hanging up the gutters as Michael is attacking her. She she basically wraps like the fucking antenna wire around Jamie to lower her down. But as Michael finally approaches and attacks, she drops her and she gets stuck. Yeah, midway there, Jamie's dangling. It's he, like wrapped around like her like arm at this point. Around her waist. Around her waist. So he goes to attack Rachel. Rachel's hanging on off the fucking roof by the gutters. You yeah, know, trying to avoid getting stabbed. And unfortunately, she loses her grip, falls off the roof. Yeah. Jamie, the cable gives out. She falls down the rest of the way. Mm. I feel bad for the poor stunt, uh, little poor, person, stunt person. Yeah, for Jamie. Crawls over to Rachel to tell her, oh, please come alive. It, it, Rachel's kind of moving. You can tell she's still breathing, but she's she's out. She's out cold. Michael uh, must have, like, I don't know, jumped through a tree and then shimmied his way down. Or, that would be like, interesting, seeing him do, like, a jackass stunt where he, like, tries <laughs> to catch a tree but then misses and then just falls. She keeps hitting every, like, branch yeah. of the way down. Yeah. <laughs> but then he just gets up, dusts himself off, looks around <laughs> to make sure no one was filming that, and then walks. He jumps. He lands in a tree, he falls through the tree, and then the truck from Jurassic Park falls after him and it lands next to him. Sure, like, why not? It's out of, <laughs> out of left field. It's, it's, le- it's more left field than the jackass stuff. And he starts giving pursuit to Jamie, who who gets away with him temporarily but runs to Loomis. She's running through the streets, you know, screaming, help me, help me. And according to Daniel Harris, the neighbors that, like, actually 
heard this being in the middle of the night and called the cops. Because they were unaware there was a shoot going on in their neighborhood. Yeah, and it ended up in, like, the Inquirer that she was almost kidnapped off the set, which right. was not true. So. Right. Anywho, as you said, Jamie uh, eventually runs into Loomis when she finally gets far enough away. Uh, Loomis says, tries to tell her, where's the schoolhouse? They're looking for the schoolhouse. It seems kind of weird at first, but then when they finally get there and he shoots open the lock, which I've never seen a fucking schoolhouse had a padlock on the doors. Right. I mean, because, like... Like, I work at a school, and yeah, no, we know. just we just deadbolt the fucking doors. That's right, set the alarm. I think, I think just visually and more dramatic, it looks better that way. I guess so. And the alarm goes off, basically trying to attract attention to whoever the hell's around to help. But also, you attract someone else's attention. Yeah, and so they go in there and trying to hide. They try and find an open classroom to hide in, and that's when Billy Idol shows well, up. You always lock your classrooms, man. Yep. And that's when Michael Myers wearing the Billy Idol mask from earlier, as we talked about. Yeah, the, with the blonde the, hair. The fucked up production mask that at that early in the morning, after shooting for that many hours, they did not give two shits and just shot it. And it stayed in the film. And once they were realized that in dailies were editing, like, oh, and they were such a tight budget, they couldn't go back and reshoot that. Yep. So... Michael in his Billy Idol slash Simon LeBond slash Flock of Seagulls mask. Yeah. Throws Loomis through a glass classroom door. real rebel yell while tossing him. That's the noise Loomis made. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie manages to get away down the hall while this is happening, looking for him, wandering around. Unfortunately, you know, sees him, runs away, falls down the stairs. She's, she's a little hurt at this point, trying to get away. As Michael's approaching... We see Rachel. She managed to follow. She's got a fire extinguisher. And as the pro wrestler she is, shoots him in the face of the fire extinguisher. Yeah. When the baby face, she makes her baby face come back by shooting him in the face with yeah, the fire she, extinguisher. Yeah, it's totally cool to suggest for sure. Yep. Grabs Jamie, gets out of there. They get out the door. And by that time, all the rednecks have arrived. Yeah. And they're saying, he's in there. Let's get the hell out of here. The state police are on their way. And finally, the rednecks decide, you know what? Let's stop shooting people. Yeah. Let's get the hell out of there. Right. So... They get the hell out of there, driving down the highway. Everything seems okay and safe. They pass by a state trooper vehicle that's coming in, you know, just wildly shooting in the air to get their attention. Like, I, yeah, think, I think as long as you have your headlights on, they're going to see you. So, <laughs> you know, you don't really have to do that, sir. Yeah, like, it, it is It is so, I mean, like, you, you're asking to be shot if you're be firing your gun up in the air. Why state, state troopers? State police are, are coming, and they know there's a fucking serial killer on the loose, and they may not survive the night. Yeah. So they're already on edge a little bit. The last thing you need to do is attract that kind of attention. Yeah. Like I said, if your headlights are on, they're probably going to see you. Yeah. Just wave your hand up in the air like you just don't care. Or, yes. or your uh, We have a flashlight. flashlight we could just wave. Is yeah, there a flashlight then, in your glove compartment, Earl? And, and you slow down and you kind of wave them down or something yeah. like that. And the firing of the guns in the air was not necessary. So, so state troopers go on to Hanfield as they, – They stop. They talk to the guy say, there's a, there's a trooper rest station up there. You guys can go there. We'll take care of it from here. Right. All, all is well. Yes. And so they continue driving towards that station, and they approach, They go into some fog. And as it turns out, Max Cady himself. Sideshow Bob. Sideshow Bob was hiding under the vehicle, yep. Michael Myers. And I don't know how the hell he got there. Maybe when they, they did like a three-point turn, and he just kind of like Solid Snake or Sam Fisher his way under there. Yeah. <laughs> and so he climbs into the bed of the pickup. And nobody hears this. Nope. And they must he, have had some good speed bumps to Yeah, as he kills the, the three rednecks in the back. He picks up, oh, my God, one of the fucking stunts where, where uh, what was it, he, like, literally lifts the guy up and, and throws, throws him, him. He him backwards. And he, it cuts to the wide shot of him being tossed in the truck, laying on his back, and rolling off the pavement. Oh, my God, that had to fucking I'm hurt like, 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 even if, even if he's, he's got all back padding and everything, like, yeah. that's got to hurt still. And then there's the two of them that he fucking knocks off when the door, the bed door of the truck 
opens and they I just roll right I off guess, onto the street. I guess that's what, uh, except uh, probably took most of the, their inertia was the bed of it before they, he rolled off. So it's not like full force hitting the, hitting the pavement. It's obviously they're still going around maybe 25, 30 miles an hour from them when they still rolled off. But still, that must have hurt. But the one guy, he picks up like a fucking sack of dirt and just throws flat backwards. You think that guy had cables on that just edited him out? No, I think somebody was just willing to fucking. We know how low budget this movie is. We've been bringing that up several times in this movie. <sighs> they actually had to kill their stuntmen. That's how low budget it was. Oh God! But then the settlement for their families wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> the movie would never be released. No, um, and so uh... and, no, and Earl doesn't hear this. No, nobody. I guess Earl doesn't look in his rearview mirror. Does he even have one? Uh, rear view, rear view. It's more like queer view. <laughs> I ain't gonna look at that mirror. I don't look from behind. <laughs> I get home, I keep my back door extra padlocked just so no one can go in and out of it. When we get down to the, the, the bay, their father, they'll be so chewed up, their fathers will be able to recognize their mothers. Uh, it's a Jaws reference. Okay. Um, well, anywho. Uh, Michael uh, punches his way through the driver's side window and tears Earl's, part, Earl's face Basically off. Tears, yeah, like from like the neck joint where you, like you're, the side of your chin is... Where it meets your neck, he basically rips his fucking skin off. Which is another a, one of the added, you know, gore effects. Right. And so Rachel takes a hold of the wheel, knocking uh, Earl's body out of the car, telling him, tuck and roll, Grandpa. Hey, he's already dead. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And so Michael's trying to grab her, and he's, like, ripping her sweater. Jamie's, like, is stuck by where the passion is, like, where her feet go. That's where she's propped in. Rachel's he's, trying to shake Michael's loose. He's and, riding on the top good, holding on for dear life. Um, he eventually smashes his head against the windshield, scaring them. And Rachel gets the bright idea to hit the fucking brake. And he goes flying off. That's another hell of a stunt to hit. Yep. And then he gets up. Uh, Rachel has her, her chief Brody movie, like, die, you son of a bitch, and she, runs him over. Yeah, her action movie one-liner. And, and I love the, the dummy that they the hit. Dummy, like, she hits. Doing. And literally, the, I guess the only point of articulation was around the waist, because yeah. he literally, like, bends forward and goes face first into the fucking hood. It's like if you, if you extend your hand out, like, all five fingers up, and then you bring your fingers and thumb together to make it like kind of like a mouth, like, like a sock what, puppet mouth, like a sock puppet. Like that's what the body, the the it just bent forward, like point, by concaves the hood, and he goes flying. They go, they crash into like off the road. Uh, Michael appears to be dead. Let's go of his knife. Jamie notices the police arrive. Jamie goes up to Michael she while gives, she gives like a look out the window, like like what She's we talked about something. before about the connection that she has. There's something going through her head, and I, I, interestingly enough, she has no more lines. Like from when they left the schoolhouse, and she's just looking, but with a very blank, pale, emotionless face. Mm-hmm. As the rest of the police arrive, the, you know, Rachel just runs up in a panic, saying, "Oh my god, my god, where's Jamie? Oh, she's in the truck." Then we see Jamie has walked over with that same emotionless look, examining his body. Kneels down, grabs kneels his down, hand, holds his hand, like almost like sympathetic, like something has drawn her to him. Mm-hmm. Something, something that's like in in their DNA or whatever. Yeah. Something instinctively, weird. she runs over there. Instinctively, they scream to Jamie, "Get away from him!" She puts her hand down, turns around with the same, you know, panicless, emotionless, just wide-eyed look. He sits up, stands up. They they all scream, "Get down!" And then she gets down, like not even like in a panic, just like plops down, plops down. Meeker, all the police, everyone just fucking opens fire. Yeah. Opens fucking fire on on Michael Myers. Loomis is there. They found they found him in the schoolhouse. I guess brought him down there. He's covering up Jamie. There's open fire. They're shooting him backwards, and he falls through this big fucking like was it a well a mine shaft? So, I think so. 
And as he falls through it, the just the, the, the boards earth. the and boards laid over that cover it and knock all the earth and stone that that was uh, the rim for it at the top in there, just completely burying him. Well, the thing is that they shot another part. They wanted to make it feel like definitive. Like they shot part of like the deputies lighting dynamite and tossing it down the hole. It was not shown in this movie, but however, that's how it was used at the beginning of this of uh, Halloween Five. You see the guy in the back lighting the dynamite as they're opening fire. Yeah, and, they, and then when it cuts, you know. It's not in his hand anymore. Yeah. And, and it's just like... Michael has been stopped for now. Yeah. I mean, like, you could have made it seem like... I don't know why not use it for this movie, and then we just kind of, like, do, like, a, a reiteration of it at the beginning of 5, kind of like how in Halloween... In Friday 13 Part 2... Oh, no, Friday 13 Part 3 is, like, a... Well, Part 1 and Part 2 reiterates... All three of them reiterate the beginnings the of previous, previous movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so then we cut back to the Crothers house. Well, personally, I feel like you didn't need the dynamite. Just the idea that like you're seeing all this rubble and stone collapse down into it. I feel like you didn't really need it. Like, oh, my God, this this guy, he's buried. There's no way he can survive. He's crushed. He'll never get up, you know? Right. And there's something about it. I feel like the dynamite would have been overkill at that point. Mm-hmm. That's it was why. the 80s. Yes. I mean, I don't think it could have hurt. That's why if, if – well, that's why if we're jumping ahead, I feel it worked better as a extended recap. Okay. Than necessarily because we see after the – we're going we're to jump ahead a little bit, folks, to the next episode, just the beginning. But we get a recap of the ending of 4, basically from the point where she runs over the fucking dummy and all that. Boing. Now, instead of, you know, just cutting back to the original the, – the rest of 4 – we cut into the well and see a body crawling away. Michael, he survived, and he's crawling away from the rubble. He wasn't fully crushed. And then after that, we see the officers throw the dynamite down the well. And we see that he just made it out of, like, an opening in the well into a river yeah. right before it exploded. I feel that works a lot stronger in five than throwing dynamite down there necessarily would in four. Because just the, the primal idea of being crushed and buried under all this rubble is just – it's something that, you know, fucks with you. Right. Like that claustrophobic – Feeling of just being trapped. And then he's buried and he's gone. And, like, and he's buried. And the line that Loomis says, Michael Myers is in hell, buried. Where he belongs. Buried where he belongs. And so we, we were back at the Crothers' house. And the epilogue. The epilogue while the um, the foster parents are consoling Jamie and Rachel. And Loomis says, you know, Michael Myers, he almost has this like. Relief. A somewhat relief. It's like this nonchalant relief where it's like, <sighs> it's like I'm relieved it's over for now, but it's never truly over. No. And so uh, Rachel's mother, uh, Jamie's stepmother, decides to go run a bath for Jamie and just to kind of like cleanse her from everything. Um, and so we see her start that. And then we see a POV walk around upstairs, put on a mask, grab a pair of scissors. Put on a mask. We don't know. It's that, it's that famous POV shot yeah. from the original Halloween. But instead of seeing the mask that was put over or any hands wearing costumes, we just on. see the mask thing, the, the eye hole slide over the camera. Yeah. Walk past one of the bathrooms, grab a pair of scissors. Keep walking down the hallway to where there's running – we hear running water. Look inside the bathroom and there's Mrs. Carruthers. Stops. She looks up at who's there. Cut to a shot from down the stairs and a loud scream. Yeah. Loomis comes running with his gun held up. He looks up at what's there and starts screaming, no, no, over and over again. We don't know what he's seeing at first and then – we cut to his point of view, and it's Jamie in her clown costume with the mask on with bloody scissors in her hand. Covered in blood, holding a pair of and bloody And breathing scissors. heavily, just like Michael. Meeker comes over, you know, knocks the gun out of Loomis's hand. Loomis now just, like, falls back to the wall, just an emotional pile of just, like... Meeker grabs the gun to turn to see what it is, and then holds, he, he's 
shocked and stopped in his tracks from that. And Loomis is just slowly, like, slicking the floor, like, practically crying at this point. He's like, no, no. Jamie, I mean, Rachel comes by, her father comes by, and they're all just the wide-eyed, thousand-yard stare look of shock at what they've just seen. That now, you know, this little girl has become, you know, this this evil. Yeah. And I do feel, like I was saying before, that this was foreshadowed in that ending part where, like, Jamie no longer has any lines and just has this blank, pale, emotionless face. Looking I'm, back, hindsight, I feel like that was foreshadowing the ending. But they, they like, uh, like, they, like they knew what the where the movie was going to go, and that's why they kind of planted seeds there. Um, and so, yeah, the movie's over. It was a success. It was a kind of a mixed critically. Like some people loved it, some people hated it. It but, holds a pretty low score in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, but it was such a success that they would they would greenlight a sequel to be out a year later, which is never good unless you're the Saw franchise. But we'll get into that another day, maybe. And so, total domestic gross of seventeen million seven hundred sixty-eight seven hundred and fifty-seven dollars. That yeah, sixty-eight thousand. That's domestic, right? Yep. We don't know what the international is. International and worldwide, I don't, I don't know if it was ever those numbers were ever actually uh, released. Yeah, and so like I mean, like yeah, obviously they made three times their budget back in domestic alone before international and before home video and all of right. So it was obviously a smash success. Now, as as, as Mustafa Akat has said, and this is a little skip before it, I'll reiterate this: drunk off the success of Halloween Four, we immediately rushed into Halloween Five. Right, which I don't think was, we'll get into the reasons why I think that's a bad decision. It was set on. up where, where it was looking like Jamie's going to be the new killer. Or, yeah. as Daniel Harris says, or at least his sidekick, you know? Yeah. Like, she was all on board for it. She thought it was cool. I, th- I believe Donald Pleasant's liked that idea. Something was definitely set up for a sequel, something big. And so, okay, how do you, how does this movie, like, rank? Like, uh, how do you feel about, since the first time watching it and watching it today, how has your feelings changed on this movie, or if they have changed? Well, I mean, I pretty much know what to expect from it nowadays. Um, I do think that even with just writing a fucking script like this in 11 days I, and with all the things we've talked about that feel like they were part of a script that was written in 11 days, I do feel, still feel that it works very well as a, as a movie, as a movie sequel, as a movie on its own. I, I like it. I mean, yes, it is, it is copying a lot beat for beat from the original Halloween. You can say it is your standard, you know, beat for beat sequel mm-hmm. but at the same time i do feel it established an identity of its own it's the start of a whole new chapter mm-hmm. that I, I, a chapter that i'm a fan of to, even with its missteps in there and i mean overall i have very good impressions of it i enjoy it a lot and so do i and it's something that i i've talked to my friend jeremy who i've mentioned before and my friend andy who is a huge fan of this franchise i i feel like i've gone back to watch this sequel the most in the original timeline other than maybe the h2o like i've watched this more than two i'm drawn to this one more than two despite the fact that it is a baton handoff from one to two and like it's like you said when we did two it's kind of like a complete story if you have the time you should watch one and two back to back however i just feel like for some reason, I just really enjoyed this one, despite the missteps that we brought up, and despite the kind of the fact that the script seems like it was written in eleven days, for better or for worse. Um, but I just love the atmosphere of the cinematography, even though it's not the greatest of all photography. Like even like, like just like it's not the sharpest of all the movies. It's not, it's and like maybe the fact that it was not photographed anamorph- anamorphically that it just is shine. It, it shows a little bit like oh, it's not super great like the photography is okay but like it's like you can tell it's from a lower budgeted movie but it's not like like some of the early like friday 13 was like oh you had like one light and it just looks really grainy or what have you i do feel when i watch the because i marathon these movies so fucking much 
We've done it once, you know? Yeah. When I do it, I, I've said in the Halloween 3 one, I do feel like watching Halloween 3 is the perfect, like, break, like, that 10-year break between the 10 years of number 2 and number 4. Yeah. Like, that fits in there great, uh, like, perfectly for me. And then when I put on 4 immediately, th- this old new look, like, like how it is, you know, in 185, and it's, you know, not, it doesn't have the same cinematography. I do feel it gives it that, you know, ten it, like, anything in your life, 10 years later, it's going to be new. But there's a familiarity to it because it's still you, you know? Yes. And Am I making any sense? No, I kind no, of feel no, like no. I'm rambling. Like, no, no, I, feel like I feel like there's something fresh about it that we're starting a new chapter. Right. Even with all the, all the changes from technical standpoints and visual standpoints. Uh, favorite scene, least favorite scene? Mm, probably least favorite scene, the Ted Hollister shit. Because I know it's meant to show that these fucking rednecks aren't going to do a good job, aren't really going to accomplish anything and probably just cause trouble. But this other shit, you could have done like fucking property damage or where they almost shoot someone. Yeah. <laughs> but just <laughs> wrapping my head around the ideas that like, okay, these fucking guys just killed someone. And the like we're that- supposed to morally identify with them despite the fact they just murdered somebody. The f- yes, and the fact that they're not st- they don't st- stop immediately and go like, "Oh my god, what the hell did we just do?" and like even though there's no police force down there, it's like the idea that like they just left this fucking corpse there. Right. You know. Uh as for favorite scene, probably the ending because I do remember when watching it for the first time, there was a degree of shock I felt. Nice. Because yeah. I remember when I was watching it, my stepsister had come into the room at one point. She was watching a lot of it, too, and I was explaining, you know, because I had watched one number one with her, mm-hmm. and I kind of got her into it, too. We were watching it, and at the ending, we were both, like, shocked as hell. Like, th- this kid, you know, has become this evil. This this sweet little girl is now the, the force of evil that he was. Right. Um, for me, my least favorite, I probably have to agree with you, is that the, um, just the moral justification of like, oh, they just straight up murdered this guy and like there's no repercussions to them. Yeah, there is repercussions in the form of Michael Myers, but like what if Michael didn't kill him? Like would they, have, would they have suffered his consequences because of their buffoonery? Um, my favorite scene, it might be the opening with like, the opening text like in the like the, the field and like the music and then, um, or like you, like the ending with uh, just like, just because that sends you out at the end of it. Like, that's a great way to end that movie because there's so much potential where you can come from. And it's like, yes, it, you could argue it's setting up a sequel, but you could have gone so many places with them. And I know the writer has kind of – he was offered the, the role to come back to do five, but him and his writing partner wanted to get this action movie off the ground. So that's why they declined and they brought in new writers and as well as everything was so fast-tracked for Halloween 5. In hindsight, he's regretted that decision. And I feel like – I kind of wish he did come back from five and to see, like, where they could have done and, like, had, like – Jamie in an institution, and then she like is like kind of like becomes in that trance state, and then when Halloween comes around, when Michael comes back, she comes into full force, and like both of them are killed to meet each other and trying to cause as much destruction around Hadfield. I feel like it could have been an interesting idea to go with. Well, also if we want to skip far ahead too, the ending of Rob Zombie's Halloween too, I feel like that's also revisited when Laurie kind of becomes spoiler alert, kind of becomes Michael at the end. I think that's interesting that this this guy has you know this this force of evil has this fucking supernatural influence yeah you know um and i do agree with you that the opening of halloween 4 is definitely up there with favorite scenes i feel i almost feel like it's 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 stretching out the anticipation yeah there like like this franchise and this killer has been dormant for 10 years and here's just this little calm before the fucking shit hits the fan and you're just waiting for it you know exactly with all this dark imagery around you um score your feelings on it i think it was great i really i i liked uh what Alan Howarth did, um, 
as I said in Halloween 2, the, the original, like, synth style, it had to grow on me for a while. But I feel that this was a really good, you know, return to form for it. It was still made with more electric piano sound. Mm-hmm. A little more ambient. They threw a little more reverb onto it. Right. It had more of a, uh, well, yeah, reverberation to it. But I do feel it was very strong. I do feel the pieces they added in, like, the very slow, with, like, synth strings was really cool. It's good to just, you know, build up. For, for scenes where you need to just build up that anticipation. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very good, too. And I feel like at least the beats per minute fall on the main themes a little bit faster. It might be. Oh, you- no, it, it probably is. And they uh, didn't they, that when they started adding, like, the little kick drum in, like, the dum 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 dum. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, and I, I really enjoyed score, the score as well, and I, I love, like, the atmospheric stuff that you brought up. The kind of, like, br- it brings the feeling of dread to the audience. Even when Michael's not around, and, and also I feel the one only one weakness in the score is the whatever they fucking used for the Ted Hollister st- uh, scene when they start banging on the roof of the truck. Hey, he's over there! It's, like, it's, like, it's like a fucking tuba, like. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Maybe it's supposed to be a it, version. It feels as fat and dumb as these rednecks in, <laughs> in this in this scene. So. Um. And so, okay, since we brought up Mass before, um, there's a little bit of news on the new Halloween movie about Mass that you we brought up in conversation uh, the other night. The yeah. other night, um, at the time of the recording of this podcast, for those of you, you know, a couple years in the future, many years in the future, thousands of years in the future. Yes, uh, around the time this it was announced, um, I feel like the title of the article is really, really fucking misleading. Like most clickbait articles written. Yes, that the original Michael Myers mask will return for Halloween 2018. Now, if you go and read this article, which I know the internet has a hard time doing that. I'm not yeah. insulting you people. It's just a, this fucking... An observation. Social media seem, tends to deem shit more on uh, title than actual content. But if you read this, the, the production designer, I forget his fucking name, um, he has stated that he's going back to recreate the original mask, but give it like the look of something that has weathered and been you know destroyed for 40 years. Mm. So I, I kind of feel like that's also a bit of a nod to the Rob Zombie films because they say there's going to be fucking Easter eggs of the whole series out the ass. Mm. Like this is going to be – it's going to reference everything. So is so we going to see more uh, redneck rape in this, in that one? I'm hoping not. I'm hoping that a tattered mask is – I'm hoping that a grungy, dirty Michael is is basically the zombie tribute. And that Jimmy Lee Curse's daughter kung fu fights uh, Michael Myers? No, I'm hoping to God anyone that tries to kung fu Michael Myers is fucking split in half like a log. <laughs> and then set on fire like said log. And then pissed <laughs> upon to put out the fire like said log. And then shit upon and then stirred into the ground so that it won't get fire again like a fucking log. Okay. But yes, and well, when I showed you this the other night, um, some years back, uh, the, there was an article done. It wasn't very long ago, maybe like 2012, 2014. There was an article done uh, spotlighting the original Michael Myers mask. Um, Dick Warlock had uh, apparently made an appearance. It's been in the possession of a uh, like haunted house amusement mm-hmm. type uh, owner and Dick Warlock made an appearance where he br- uh, brought with him the original, you know, mask, mm. the, the boots, the scalpel from Halloween two, but the mask, because that was the original Halloween one mask. Well, one of them, because the other one was the stunt mask, which was burned up at the end of Halloween two, mm. he brought it with him and eventually, you know, made uh, arrangements to sell it to this guy. And this guy's had it. And he let Michael Myers.net, uh, the fan site, uh, take a look at some of these props and the way it's weathered and, you know, been destroyed. Now, I would love to see that exact mask come back. I really, really would. But 
for the purposes of preserving a horror icon, you could probably fucking put it on and it'll turn to dust yeah. these days. Because it is an old mask that, you know, had paint sprayed onto it. It wasn't made fully professional with the Michael Myers look from the ground up. I was surprised to see the condition it was in. It still looked rather good. Just around the mouth and... Around the mouth and neck areas, the the latex is really ripped. Well, I feel like, I guess, like, saliva buildup and then sweat, I guess, on the neck, which is kind of, like, probably... Deteriorated, and, yeah. And deteriorated that, those specific areas. And even around the eye holes a little bit tattered, but it really did. It, it looked good, but it definitely looked like something where if you saw someone wearing it that was after you, you'd be fucking shit, scared shitless. Yeah. I am hoping that the production designer of the new one used these photographs. I'm hoping he actually I'm hoping he actually got to go see it in person. Right. Study it and say, okay, this is what the real one looks like 40 years later. Let me try and do something along these lines. Let this be my template. Right. So I, I'm I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait for a fucking trailer to come out. Yeah, Something. I know. I know Rough Cut is like nearly done, and Jason Blub has loved the footage that he's seen thus far. Yeah, I read that too. And so I'm looking forward to that. And um, I know you're on social media, so I won't have anything to plug for you. So yeah. Well, we got to talk about home releases. How you can watch Halloween Four? Oh yes, my apologies. Um. Well. I did a little more. Had to do a little more research for this one. I've talked in the past. Usually, it's pretty. Usually, it's pretty cut and dry. What to buy uh, for the original Halloween? You know, get that 40th anniversary Blu-ray. Man, you cannot fucking go wrong with that. No. I mean, any DVD, any DVD release. If you don't have Blu-ray, is awesome. I personally recommend the Divamax edition, even though that has been criticized a bit for the changes made. Some, you know, the, the way they do color and contrast yes. and stuff like that. I mean, 40th anniversary was supervised by. Uh, Dean Cundy, so go for it. For Halloween 2, your Shout Factory, Blu-ray, or DVD. They're, it's basically the same stuff, except in either format. Same deal with Halloween 3. Halloween 4 is a bit of a... Is a, bit of a not very uh, cut-and-dry deal here. No. Um, 2001, there was a really good release from it. It was, I believe, before they really... Cre- before Anchor Bay, who had, owns distribution for 1, 4, and 5, uh, before... They made like an HD transfer, you know, before HD transfers for DVDs became the real thing, before their studios were making HD masters. Mm-hmm. Came out with one in 2001. It was very well received. 2006, though, uh, they did also a Divimax edition. Divimax was basically uh, some kind of process that they used that they had. It's more of an advertising. It's basically you take an HD master and pop it on a DVD. Right. You know, Divimax was heavily advertised because I think that was the company that did it. Okay. I enjoy the hell of that one. That one was taken from an HD transfer. A lot of the color correction and color timing and everything they did, it, it, it's great for outdoor scenes. The sun is more vibrant. You know, the orange fall colors are more vibrant. Skin tones are more vibrant. The problem, though, is that they apply that to indoor scenes as well. The 2001 one had a more bluish, cold indoor Teal look to look, it. Yeah. Yeah, well, this one has a more orangey look at times. Uh, I checked out some comparison screenshots today. And the one that really stood out the most to me was the one we talked about in the beginning when Jamie's having her bad dream, when she opens her bedroom door and there's Michael Myers standing over with a knife. The smoke and light coming from the background in the 2001 DVD is more teal, whereas the Divimax, it's more orange. The Divimax one, you're going to get better clarity from because it is from an HD transfer downsampled into 480i or 480p if you're watching it on a CRT or... HDTV, probably, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would go with that one for pure quality. But if you are a stickler for more of that other look, I'd say go with the 2001. If you could track it down, I don't know really where to find it. The Divimax edition is the most common. Uh, for you international folks, 
in the UK, you've got a million and one fucking options. They have re-released this over and over again. It's kind of like the Evil Dead releases when there's been so many companies that had the rights for it and they keep re-releasing it so you don't know which one to get. Yeah, but that's you guys, you folks in Europe, I bid you good luck. <laughs> yes. But for us in America, the two that really stand out the most is the Divimax Edition DVD, which has quite a number of extras on it, uh, a couple of making of featurettes, and a commentary, commentary track tracks. from the writer. Anchor Bay in 2011? 11 or 12 finally released it on Blu-ray, and it is taken pretty much from the same HD transfer. The thing is, I don't know if it's just at a lower bit rate or something, but you're not really getting an incredible jump in picture quality by this because no. you still get the same color and looks. I actually sat there comparing the two today. Yes. Um, the biggest thing I did notice is that you are going to get an in increase in clarity in text elements and elements – that are kind of like close together, like fence patterns or whatever, like chain link fences and stuff, signs, you know, the ambulance staff at the beginning had like patches on their, on their shoulders that said like the security guard, the one that said security, that all popped out, you know, better. Um, they both, I don't know if it was just uh, the matter of how they, because the movie was in 185, which is not a perfect 16 by 9 aspect ratio. No, it's a little wider than 16 by 9. So very often, you know, things are done to compensate for that. The DVD, the Divmax DVD almost seems to cut off information at the top and bottom, whereas mm. the uh, Blu-ray seems to cut off information at the side. It's very bizarre. You're not losing anything horrible. No. You know, you could choose either one in the picture still. It's not like the pan-scan versions of Ghostbusters. Like you would no, it's nothing system. even remotely fucking close to that. It's not even like 235 with open mat, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, you, you, you may not even notice it. I didn't notice it until I compared the two. Right. I will say visual visual clarity is not the biggest – it's not the greatest leap in Blu-ray, which is disappointing because of how much, you know, Blu-ray can do and how much people You wish they got – they like the other movies, that they they went back to the 35mm negative and did a scan of it. Well, I think part of that is because they're using that HD, HD transfer from six years ago instead of coming out with something completely new for HD because that's the nice thing about Blu-ray. Everything is uncompressed. Um, when it comes to the sound, I do believe it's the same pretty much soundtrack. You have your Dolby True HD 5.1 surround sound mix on Blu-ray, and you do get a Dolby Digital 5.1 compressed mm. for DVD. But on... Um, it's advertised on the Blu-ray that you get a Dolby 2.0, which I didn't see in the options. Maybe no, because you, you popped up the options because you do that every time before we watch anything. I always check my sound settings because I have a surround sound system that we could do this with. But, yeah. I mean, maybe it's in there because sometimes I go into my my D, my Blu-ray menu that's active in there, like the actual player menu, and select you know the different audio tracks. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's tucked in and not advertised. I don't mm. know. But... I mean, regardless from the sound, like, it sounds very much the same. It's just the Blu-ray did have that edge with being uncompressed. I know Blu-ray.com actually did not give it the highest reviews because it wasn't really the uh, boomiest. It didn't really make the most out of out of your uncompressed sound where, right. like, a lot of the lower-end, you know, jump stabs that they use that, like, almost weird dinner plate-sounding gong with it. When yeah. something pops out, it didn't have as much rumble to it. And the, I always found the just the choice of the gun sound effects was just really – just seemed really – janky a little bit myself like just the, the sound effects they use and like for the movie even back then and just how it's compressed for the, this release and I, I never really enjoyed then again we've we've may have been spoiled by the Suspiria 7.1 uh, oh the Suspiria fucking no the 96 kilohertz fucking sample rate holy yeah. fuck if you have a set to do the, the Suspiria Blu-ray that has been released this year, and I know they re finally re-released re one without it, yeah. the special tin and soundtrack. Thank God I got that. Ninety fucking dollars, though, but yeah. that's okay. 
If you could get a hold of that and you got a surround sound system that could do 96 kilohertz sample rates, dude, jump on that shit yeah. in a heartbeat. But, I mean, going back to Halloween 4, the sound quality, you, everything is very clear, crisp. It's good. It's just it may not have the, the greatest effect, even on the Blu-ray. The, I noticed between the two, the DVD was a little quieter. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know everything's not going to have the widest range because of the compression on DVD. But at the same time, too, you know, I could still hear everything I needed to. So I think you find in the sound department then it's not the great – if for you audiophiles out there, you're not getting the best audio experience, but you, get, you are getting something that is watchable and listenable. Um, as it turns out to special features, though, this is where the real uh, – this is where the real quandary comes into place because for that 2012 Anchor Bay Blu-ray, they actually left a few things out. Um, they left out – well, they got rid of one of the uh, the commentary track with Alan McElroy. They got rid of, but they added a brand new one with Dwight Little. Um, what was it in Halloween? The final cut, I believe it was. I left my fucking notes upstairs because I'm a dipshit. But it's okay, you're also lo- there is a featurette in there. You are also losing. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get the Halloween four and five panel from one of the the uh, conventions conventions at the time. You can get the theatrical trailer. You do get you know. A good amount of stuff, but it, it's you get you get something new that the the one release is missing. The one release has something you you know. It, basically, if you want all the special features, you practically got to own both. Yeah, the, like there's another movie that we'll, we'll talk about later on. At least I'll be talking about it later on that has one release has one special feature that I love, and the other releases never have. And it's like that's why I have to, I have to have two versions of one of my favorite movies. I'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, is that your final thoughts on? Well, th- if you happen to have the 15 disc box set like we do on the on the. Special features, disc of the whole set, all that shit is there, plus more. You get Still Gallery, you get the Horrors, Horrors Hollowed Grounds episode mm. of Halloween 4. But the actual um, Anchor Bay must have printed a new one with, with that uh, same transfer with, unfortunately, the sync issues, the audio sync. And that's another thing for the Blu-ray. You may be dealing with audio sync issues if you happen to buy one that's older. Yeah, I'd say if you can buy Halloween 4, if you go buy Halloween 4 on Blu-ray, I suggest buy it brand new. Because if they were able to four years ago issue replacement discs, I'm hoping that they have... Fix, fix this issue by now. Yeah. Uh, buyer beware of buying used. Same deal if you manage to get your hands on the 15-disc box set. I don't even know what that goes for anymore because it was limited edition. Yeah. But that one, you definitely get getting all, all the special features plus more. They're just not on the actual Halloween 4 disc. It'll be on the... They're on the, the entire series supplemental disc. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, um, now, Mike, I know you don't have any social media to plug anything, so you don't have to do that. The only thing i got to plug is my CPAP machine into the wall and go to bed. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at TimothyRooney2, Instagram at TRooney1012. My other podcast, Please Rewind, part of the RF4RM uh, podcast network, the real fans, four real movies, four as in the number four. Uh, we, our latest episode, Days Confused, is up. Uh, we'll be doing a Hitchcock movie very soon. We'll be talking about Vertigo. And if you want to follow uh, also my YouTube page, Through the Lens Productions, where all my short films are up and a lot of my other creative endeavors go there. And so, Mike, I want to say thank you for taking time right now. I think I'll plug Retro Picture Show one more time. Yes. Like, I don't know them personally. They probably don't even know my fucking name when I walked in. But they, re- they do recognize us wherever we go there. They do recognize us. I wonder if well, they, they know me by name because uh, I talk oh, to them. Oh, they know least. you personally, but I wonder if they think, like, oh, I wonder what happened to that guy with long hair Tim used to bring all the time. Yeah. They probably, that's probably a little bit. Fuck it, I'll recognize him. RetroPictureShow.com. If you are in the Long Island area and you want to watch classic, primarily horror movies, we have seen RoboCop there. Yeah. 
Excuse me. Uh, if you want to see classic, horror, you want to see classic horror movies in the original format that they were in, with that you know original audio. If you want the original experience and really want to see what old school film was like, something that you know I overlooked as a kid because I had no fucking idea the transition between digital and film. Because when we went digital, it was already HD. Yeah. So. If you want to get that original experience, man, RetroPictureShow.com. They are growing by leaps and bounds. They had their very first sellout when we watched uh, Friday 13th Part Friday 13th, 3. 13th Part 3, Amityville 3D, and Frankenstein's Bloody Stool 3D, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was. Frankenstein's yeah. Blood. I didn't stay for that one, unfortunately. I was too tired. Gotcha. Yeah. But, yeah, check them, check them out. And if you can't join because you live somewhere else, just fucking be jealous, you know, just Slit your wrists in jealousy and bathe in your own blood. Because no, we get to do something you don't. I, I say find yeah. find any local theater that might be doing something any creative, like an Alamo Draft House or anything like a mom and pop theater that might still have 35 millimeter film screenings. It's worth the expense. It's worth the trip because there's a shared experience that you may not be able to get from your regular multiplex. We got to see the producer's cut of Halloween 6. The oh. actual film print that had only been screened three times prior yes. in history. So, And um, if you like this show, give us a five-star review and subscribe to us on iTunes. Smash that. That like button. Exactly. It helps uh, get the word out there, and it, it just brings more people into our little club of uh, miscreants here. Club of just fucked upness, and you can just hear the, the brain droppings, George Carlin called it. Exactly. So, Mike, thank you for taking time right now to talk about Halloween 4. Oh, you're welcome. I love doing this shit. Yes. So can't wait for, can't wait, I can't wait for the new Halloween. So, It'll be sad when we finish this. Of course. i talk about something else I'm less passionate about. No, I've been thinking about what, what we can do next, but uh, don't worry about that. Um, and so, uh, come back next time for our other episodes about geek and pop culture, or if you want to talk about Halloween specifically, come back next month when we talk about Halloween me five and we'll talk to you soon. Adios, screwy. See you in St. Louis. All right, you ready? All right. Five, four, three, two. <laughs> <laughs> I just delayed this by about half an hour, didn't I? <laughs> you didn't have to say anything. You, you, you mind your Dick Clark impression and that's Ruby off. Uh, <laughs> um. Now all of his body's paralyzed through rigor mortis. <laughs> his whole body is a big boner because he's nothing but bones now. <laughs> I'm surprised they put his, his bones in like one of the balls and like drop that when it goes off. And they just it just fires his ashes <laughs> into the air. <laughs> He'll forever be part of New Year's, at least that year. Anyway. A hundred years from now, they'll never change the name, and they'll be asking, who's Dick Clark? Yeah. <sighs> <sighs>